It started with imagery, visuals that popped into my mind and piqued my curiosity. Stars drawn around scars, a cardigan that still bears the scent of loss 20 years later, battleships sinking into the ocean, down, down, down. The tree swing in the woods of my childhood, hushed tones of let's run away and never doing it. The sun-drenched month of August sipped away like a bottle of wine. A mere disco ball hovering above a dance floor. A whiskey bottle beckoning. Hands held through plastic. A single thread that, for better or for worse, ties you to your fate. Pretty soon these images in my head grew faces or names and became characters. I found myself not only writing my own stories, but also writing about or from the perspective of people I've never met. People I've known. Or those I wish I hadn't. An exiled man walking the bluffs of a land that isn't his own, wondering how it all went so terribly, terribly wrong. An embittered tormentor showing up at a funeral of his fallen object of obsession. A 17-year-old standing on a porch, learning how to apologize. Love-struck kids wandering up and down the evergreen high line. My grandfather, Dean, landing at Guadalcanal in 1942. A misfit widow getting gleeful revenge on the town that cast her out. A tale that becomes folklore is one that is passed down and whispered around, sometimes even sung about. The lines between fantasy and reality blur and the boundaries between truth and fiction become almost indiscernible. Speculation over time becomes fact. Myths, ghost stories and fables, fairy tales and parables, gossip and legend, someone's secrets written in the sky for all to behold. In isolation, my imagination is run wild, and this album is the result. A collection of songs and stories that flowed like a stream of consciousness. Picking up a pen was my way of escaping into fantasy, history, and memory. I've told these stories to the best of my ability, with all the love, wonder, and whimsy they deserve. Now, it's up to us to pass them down. everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. So I'm loving like these uh, fan mashups people are doing, some more chaotic than others. But the first one you heard is actually uh, inspired by someone on TikTok named Ella, I believe. It's five E's L-A-H. I give credit where credit's due. E-E-E-E-E-L-A-H. And she mashed up all too well. And uh, Betty in a way that just like it's truly transcendental. And then Getaway Car with August is a YouTuber called MI Requested Mashups that I thought was kind of cool as an intro too. But I uh, always, especially for one, podcast episodes that might bring on new people, I always want to clarify people have a tendency to be annoyed by length. And especially with Taylor Swift episodes, I don't worry about it because I think so often when we have things we love, we don't always have people to talk to about them. And I know Taylor Swift fans just love Taylor Swift content. And, and we want to talk about this album. And if I can be the person you can talk to, I love that. So 
I hope you're not too off put by the length. Um, I should introduce myself, though. Like I said, I'm Kate Kennedy. I'm a Chicago-based entrepreneur, author, pop culture commentator, podcast host, more importantly, resident Swifty. This is a largely pop culture, millennial-based podcast where we talk about a vast array of, uh, of, of interests, from Mormon mommy blogger obsession to being in a sorority to the True Love Waits movement to Taylor Swift to... I don't know, deep diving on Bumble or the Call Her Daddy podcast. We're really all over the place. And that is by design because I believe in range. To quote a young lady uh, named Taylor Swift, who once said, we don't want to be condemned for being multifaceted. I live by this. And uh, one of my facets is that I am a huge, huge, huge Swifty. I'm not an expert and I'm not an authority, but I have dedicated a decent amount of real estate on this podcast to uh, dis- dissecting, discussing, defending, and and analyzing uh, her brilliance. And this is a long-form podcast by design. It's windy, it's rambly, it's stream of consciousness. The point isn't for me to get to a point. The point is in the details. And um, I just like love to wax poetic and talk about my favorite artist and to tell you all of the thoughts and things and feelings I have toward a th- something I'm consuming that I'm loving at the moment. And I believe we should celebrate the media we consume. I believe we should un- unapologetically and emphatically analyze it as much as we please, because what's the point of creating it and sharing it if we're not going to absorb it with the same enthusiasm, you know? I'm like a smidge distracted too, because today, kind of out of nowhere, I am <laughs> for next week's episode, I was crowdsourcing, like, what are examples in your life of like when you've just been given a bonkers dress code that you cannot uphold that makes no sense? Or like even in school, like when are dress codes discriminatory towards women or towards different cultures, whatever. I just like, I don't know, I have this desire to talk about dress codes. I think they're really interesting and that was such a marker of my life being a very tall teenager who then got busty who then who just like didn't fit in clothes of my age group and got in trouble even though I was like not and whatever it's this whole thing but part of this was like what weird dress codes of like people asked you to comply with for like weddings and parties and like I was dying laughing they're so funny if people have been asked like woodland creature chic like okay like are you Joey Gladstone is Mr. Woodchuck providing presiding over this event it's so bizarre bowling alley chic too you can't put i mean i'm sorry if you mandate an athletic sock you're either at one a bowling alley or two a ball pit and neither of those places chic is not perhaps not the right word (laughs) one was um upscale tourist like a dead serious not ironic ask i mean i don't know i guess that's the point where you upgrade from a bermuda short to a capri you know another one that made me laugh was like snappy athletic casual and i'm like what it's like dress like you could be wearing a whistle but like don't at that point, why not put on the invitation, like, uh, dress like Blake Lively's character in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants? You know, we all wanted to be Alina Caligaris, but let's be honest, summer soccer camp is more realistic than our getting swept off our feet in Greece a la Mamma Mia. Uh, we all want to reenact, lay all your love on me like Amanda Seyfried and Dominic Cooper, but not all of us can pull off those mermaid waves, that confidence in a printed, semi-unattractive one-piece, and the raw sexuality of two people dating in real life, singing to an ABBA song. On the Greek Isles. My God, what a magical scene. I actually low-key love, high-key love Mamma Mia. And it's really popular to reenact that on TikTok right now. Highly recommend. Anyway, why are we here? We're here because almost two weeks ago, on a Thursday morning, on an unassuming Thursday morning, I woke up to, I believe it's what I screenshotted, um, 284 notifications on Instagram in a matter of like 10 minutes. And I thought to myself, wow, something happened with Taylor Swift or I got an RB sponsorship. Either way, win-win. Turns out Taylor Swift was dropping an album within 24 hours, pulling a full Beyonce. 
I didn't know what to do with myself. Quite literally, I was overwhelmed and I had no time to do anything with it. But we make do because I will always make time for T-Swift. First, I want to thank one of our sponsors. Given that folklore is BFE, big fall energy, as summer transitions to fall, Rothy's is here to provide us sustainable, comfortable, washable products. And I know so many of you are already familiar with this company, but they are incredible. They make the stylish, sustainable shoes and bags made for life on the go. And what I think is so interesting about them is that they're made from eco-friendly materials like repurposed plastic water bottles and marine plastic. And despite that incredible feat of sustainability and importance of recycling, the material is incredibly comfortable and there's a zero break-in period to their design. Like I, I walk around, I don't have a car, I it can't deal with the uh, delay of the breaking in of shoes. And these are so comfortable and ask anybody, they're, they're, they literally don't require any breaking in and somehow manage to be so comfortable, yet so uh, socially conscious as well. They come in an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns. Vogue, ever heard of them, has called Rothy's a personal obsession. Health magazine said they're the most com- comfortable shoes on earth. They always have free shipping and free returns. And beyond that, you know we're here for social responsibility. And they've kept over 50 million single-use plastic bottles out of landfills and transformed them into their signature thread, which is then knit into beautiful, sustainable products. They're fully machine washable too, which I love. So anyway, if you want to check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash be there in five, that's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash be there in five. Go where style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Again, head to rothys.com slash be there in five today to check out all of their amazing shoes and bags. Thanks to Rothys. So where was I? Yes, I my phone was blowing up. I thought maybe uh, beef and cheddar was knocking at my door. But better, the best thing that's happened in 2020 besides the Rubik's Cube documentary on Netflix and Love on the Spectrum, two, two shows that brought me pure joy for what it's worth. But the other best part of 2020 thus far has been her dropping this surprise album within 24 hours called Folklore. An unexpected but welcome, brilliant pivot into indie folk pop into what's technically an alternative category with 11 songs co-written and co-produced by the Nationals' Aaron Dessner with a collab with Bonnie Vare, who whose name is actually Justin. I, I <laughs> this whole time here, I thought the guy's name was Bonnie Vare, but like, it's not like I go, I'd go up to, you know, another lead singer of a band and be like, hi, Mr. Patrol, Mr. Snow Patrol. I love your work. Like, I don't know why I'm so dense. Bonnie Vare means uh, good winter in French. They just took the H off. And uh, anyways, more on him later. But uh, we saw the track list. We vaguely knew who her collaborators were, right? But that day I didn't, like, I was buried in the Free Britney podcast. That was like four hours that people had asked me to do forever. And I had really put it off. I finally committed. And then, of course, when I need to, like, you know, hit the hit the ground running, I'm very distracted by this Taylor Swift news because truly, like, not even on my radar. We usually pick up on hints and stuff. And outside of her big isolation, wine-drinking Instagram posts, which turned out to be the day she sent her first uh, song to Aaron. Uh, we didn't really know what she was up to, but that's the second time she said isolation. Maybe she really was in isolation. Uh, but anyway, I just I had no I had no idea what to expect. I had no time to pay attention to it, and uh, so I kind of like cold turkey. It's not the right term, but like when it came out, I sat down in the very same spot. I listened to me after all of the hype and lead up. To now sit down and get a full album, full lyrics, and a whole new genre 
and not even know what was coming my way for something I'd learned about 24 hours prior. It was an unprecedented experience and a magical one for a Taylor Swift fan. And I filmed myself on my iPad and I just like listened and wept my way <laughs> through all 16 songs uh, and stayed up all night and just like it was a magical experience. It was an emotional experience. And it was something I not only didn't see coming, but even if I had seen it coming, I wouldn't have seen it coming stylistically. You know what I mean? But allegedly amidst her isolation starting in late April, she started working on this album and made it in like unprecedented, <laughs> an unprecedented amount of time with like zero marketing muscle with, you know, social distanced music videos and really simple visuals. And uh, I'm, I'm dying to know if she was literally in isolation or like was Joe in the other room? Was her mom there? Was Austin there? You know, because like, I don't know, like the isolation cabinet in the parent cabin in the parent trap. Yes, it's isolated from others, but there were the, the two girls were in there together. You can be isolated with people. And I just really want some clarification. Not important. I was a bit I'm not gonna lie. I was a bit thrown off by the title at first of, be, of folklore. I think I thought it was going to be more of a uh, full circle moment back to her country roots. But instead, I was transported back to a 2012 version of myself. I was a proud subscriber and daily user of Pandora, specifically the stations like Iron and Wine, Neutral Milk Hotel, A Fine Frenzy. Uh, I was listening to a lot of Licky Lie Possibility from the Twilight soundtrack. I thought I had such great depth and musical range for my ability to, you know, play hopscotch between Flightless Bird American Mouth and Robert Pattinson's, Pattinson's Grumbly, but sexy, let me sign. Uh, I was into this type of indie pop. I don't know. I was more drawn to it when I was younger, when I was more susceptible to heartbreak, perhaps. I think it did have a bit of a heyday, too, though, where indie kind of infiltrated into the mainstream, the same, you know, rough time period. We all started dressing like Zoe Deschanel and considering collecting like various multicolored crystal glassware. I found out pretty early on that I couldn't pull off an A-line skirt. Like the anthropology aesthetic didn't, I don't know, just doesn't, it's not really my vibe. But what I lacked in adopting June Cleaver's sartorial choices, I made up for in you know, drinking uh, craft brews, for example, pursuing food trucks. It didn't quite stick for me. My problem is I'm as basic as the next gal, and I'll try to do things like different or quirky or alternative, and I'm just an imposter, like a real, you know, indie diehard with the matching aesthetic to boot would probably actually go to thrift stores. I shopped at Urban Outfitters. I wanted to like Belle and Sebastian, but let's be honest, I, I was listening to The Fray. I'm I'm a little less Wes Anderson and a little more Andy Anderson how-to girl, to put it lightly, but that's beside the point. I, I think that I have such a, an affinity for this era where I don't know, like, I honestly do not know if this was just a phase of my life where I was into it or there was an increased popularity because of like, I don't know, like Snow Patrol and Grey's Anatomy. Uh, but I think that I don't know, something um, in this album, Equal Parts brought out my experience and maturity along with my youthful innocence. Uh, it evoked memories within me I didn't even know that I had. And moreover, it made me fascinated with this notion of folklore because what I misunderstood as being some sort of adaptation rooted in something rural or country Actually, it's a quite poetic umbrella term that, to me, has a great deal of symbolism, both with the music at hand, but also with this stage of Taylor's life and her fandom. 
And if I'm being honest, I've, I've tried to do research. I didn't do research until the past couple of days because I wanted to write down my thoughts. I have no purpose having this platform if I don't have original thoughts. And I don't even always know if they're original. Like I was so stoked because I was like, oh my God, this is the indie record that's much cooler than hers. Finally. It, but like a thousand people had already said that on Reddit. <laughs> so I'm sure what I say will be a combination of common thoughts because there's uh, common threads within the Taylor canon. Uh, but I also wanted to focus on what maybe is less interesting to some, but important to me, which is kind of the broader theme and symbolism and to talk about what I extract from this album. There's no right or wrong. It's just your interpretation. And that's the whole point of folklore itself. But beyond that, you know, if you're here, I hope you are interested and open to my ramblings because I really just kind of want to talk about this broad strokes. And I know that people want to focus more on mapping the songs to people and situations. And I'll do some of that. But I first want to kind of just talk about it artistically, which I think it deserves to be uh, acknowledged in that way, because it's such an incredible departure from what she usually does marketing wise and content wise and the lyric lyrically some of her strongest work. And even though I have mixed thoughts about the admission of fiction involved with it, I'd rather almost be implied than told. Uh, but I, I still am amazed at her ability to storytell independent of it being her own situation. I don't know. And I think this I don't know. I just want to talk through my feelings because this it, listening to this gave me a lot of feelings that I maybe, you know, I, I, I think the time we're in right now, it just was really fitting too. And while I almost had grown numb due to the frequency of being disappointed and me resetting my, my default to disappointment, uh, I feel like the past couple of months have been marked with this remarkable level of apathy that is pretty atypical for me. And has actually made me quite uncreative. And I was so grateful that this album kind of enveloped me, like an old cardigan, one might say. The strongest lead single she's had in years. Honestly, since, mm, honestly, ever. Like, what was Speak Now even? Was it mine? I, that was a bizarre choice. I Truly, Cardigan's a fantastic song that I really, really love. Um, Peter Losing Wendy, are you kidding me? This is... Never growing up, having to leave somebody you love, but being destined for Neverland. And just anyway, I can feel myself wanting to wax poetic about the broader themes and symbolism and talk about her career in a way I always do. But first, I feel like I should clarify some, you know, more details about my thoughts on this album, even just like standout lyrics, favorite songs thus far. The ones I have in consistent rotation as of now are and i'm sorry if i repeat myself later it's hard when these are long to know what i've already said but tugboat oh my god you got okay okay get uh, i've never had more things i have oh my god <laughs> why are you so itchy he's just whining and itching and rolling and let's get on my chair let's get off my chair my dog tugboat he's the love of my life but like literally he picks the times like all I need to do is record and I don't need anything. I could sit in a sauna. I could be outdoors. Like, I don't care. All I need is silence. Um, but it's the one thing I can't, I'm not being given. I love you. And I don't know what to do because you're so sweet. Please, for the love. You want a corn dog? Like, I don't care at this point. Okay, I found him some goat cheese. I am the iPad mom. I just like, I, I my level, I've, tr I've a manageable-ish trouble focusing and the, my level of irritability when my focus is broken is so high because it takes me a long time to get there in the first place. And uh, I feel badly. And I just feel like as a mom, I will freaking snap. You know, this is why I don't have children yet. 
Um, cause like, it's like, it's not, it's like, you're not mad at the thing that's bothering you. It's you're already resenting that you're not getting enough done and the self-loathing you'll feel later because later you want to be able to spend time with the people that are bothering you now, but you could just relax and enjoy it if you could get shit done. Ooh, I'm talking about, I'm literally talking about like a Shih Tzu. Like I'm not cut out for motherhood. Okay. My, so I did a reaction video on Patreon and I'm, that's also why I don't want to like overly harp song by song. Cause I feel like that's redundant. You guys already watched 90 minutes of me reacting to each song. Uh, and for today I want to be a little more like broad strokes, but, um, my favorites from that still largely stand, if I'm honest, like the ones I have in constant rotation are Cardigan, uh, Last Great American Dynasty, Exile, August, Betty, Sometimes Peace, and... I've the one I've actually moved into rotation more recently is illicit affairs that that one took some air rating um that that's the thing with like reaction videos versus analyses soon after my lover one I did after like four months um but then I was able to like really break it down I I haven't I haven't spent enough time with these songs to like really break them down um like I mean I could manufacture that time spent with them do a ton of research, but I largely like to, I don't know, figure out what things mean to me and not have to other people tell me how to feel about them. And, um, I guess, uh, first I'll just, I'll go through just some lyrics. I mean, that's what, that's what I primarily care about. Right. And, uh, go through lyrics then I'll wax poetic about what I feel like this means symbolically for her career or the era she's in the new side of her we know post miss americana post billboard speech post being slighted by her nearest and dearest and selling off her life's work to her greatest enemy um what this means in terms of a genre shift toward the end i want to go over the aaron desner vulture article um because i think he had some interesting specific insight talk a little bit about kind of the conflict involving betty the you know what people hoped was more of a song that could finally be a representation of confirmed queer canon that she uh confirmed was from the perspective of james a boy today uh all sorts of things i don't know there's a lot here i hope you're just a taylor swift fan who likes to hear people talk about taylor swift and you're not overly worried with the uh, structure because i just get so excited and have fun talking about this and um you know this isn't scholastic by any stretch uh it's just a ch just a chat fan to fan um okay so yeah, I told you my standout songs in terms of like lyrics, because my favorite songs and lyrics don't always correlate. Like, I I think the one is really cute and it's a really good opener. I always I, I'm so curious why that is a number one and seven is spelled out seven. You know what I mean? And I at first was very convinced that uh, Chase Two Girls Lose the One was correlated with the one until I found out Aaron Dessner said the one was like the last song intentionally put as a bookend along with hoax, which like. I don't even think I'll be able to talk to you about hoax yet because I, I, I so don't get it. <laughs> I like a lot of the lyrics, but um, I loved We Never Painted by the Numbers, babe, but we were making it count. I love the concept of the greatest uh, movies were never made. I need to, I need to find the actual lyrics. Um, the greatest films of all time were never made. The uh, greatest loves of all time are over now maybe 
I don't know. I think both of those things are really interesting, not only just from the standpoint of like uh, the, the nature of how many people rob the world of their gifts and never pursue things creatively and how many films and ideas uh, were never made. Beyond that, sometimes the love that burns red the, the, with the most passion, lust, intensity, whatever, um, because of that, it can't work. But that intensity of feeling that you maybe don't experience the burnout of, you always kind of long and chase the intensity of. And when you in, in, confuse an intensity for genuine love, you know, it's like those those are very different things. And one is highly situational and you don't really understand that without perspective and experience. Um. I love in my defense, I have none. Uh, that's such a brilliant statement. Like, I think there's such a breezy nature of the one, despite it having an overarching, really intense topic in the terms of the notion of at a given moment, uh, your life can change on a dime. And um, when she says, I persist and resist, resist the temptation to ask you if one thing would be different, would everything be different today? This is something that is it's a paralyzing thought for me, having met my husband in a crowd in passing. Uh, and I think constantly, what if I'd done one tiny movement different that night? Like my life would literally be completely different. It's such it's such an alarming thought, but a magical one all the same that any at any moment your your life could change on a dime. And um, I like this song because it's breezy and it's not like there are nights when the wind was so cold. It's It's like. It would have been fun if you were the one. It's, you know, it's kind of lighthearted in nature and um, not my favorite song, but I, I like it. Uh, Cardigan, we know, is part of this alleged love triangle. Uh, I think it's such a strong lead single. I, I really genuinely love it. I love the video. Um, it transports me. I just it's 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 contagious. It's nostalgic. It's longing. It's it's mature, it, but it still has the innocence of how you felt in real time. And um I just the bridge. Ugh, I don't know. It's like I'm, I need to. I can't talk about absolutely everything. <laughs> but when I started like losing it when I heard heard the first chorus, but I knew you dancing in your Levi's, drunk under a streetlight. Uh, I, I that that is the imagery she does so well that paints a memory beautifully in a literary sense that metaphor can't even do what you would normally associate with art. Um, similarly with the even the use of the word cardigan it's not wouldn't be my number one choice uh this song was originally called maple strangely i love playing hide and seek and giving me your weekends i it's so good and um when we get to the bridge i but i knew you'd linger like a tattoo kiss i knew you'd haunt all of my what ifs are you kidding the smell of smoke would hang around this long you'd linger because I knew everything when I was young, which I think nods to later when she says, well, and is it Betty when um, James says, I'm only 17, I don't know anything? Or is that August? I forget. I haven't, this, is, this is my problem. It's like, I don't know, I don't know these things by heart yet. Um, I haven't, like, I don't, I'm not driving around listening. Like, you know, you really need to like have your moments with these songs and almost associate them with your own lawyer self before you're enveloped in within them the way you need to be to do a proper analysis. But um, even though Betty not, you know, eventually nods to Cardigan and we can link them ourselves, uh, this is definitely setting it up in a way that I did not realize until I was told about the love triangle. Otherwise I would have gone to town analyzing this song. But um, yeah, I'll talk about throughout this. Like I, I feel conflicted about the fictional character piece i respect it 
but also resent it to a degree because um I don't know. It, it it affects my exploration and analysis and not in a way that's like nosy about her life, but in like, I almost like things to be implied or to be vague and not confirmed. Um, I, I mean, Cardigan is absolutely brilliant. And I knew I'd curse you for the longest time. Chasing shadows in the growth grocery line. Um, oh my God, I forgot. My favorite, favorite, favorite is uh, Marching Like a Bloodstain. I knew you tried to change the ending. Peter losing Wendy. Peter lost Wendy because he's he had to return to Neverland. He he can't he, he won't grow up. And um, I think Peter wanted to be with Wendy, but his obligation to never grow up to be a boy forever uh, overtook him. And um, even bringing back that metaphor and chasing shadows in the gross grocery line was something as mundane as uh, grocery shopping as an adult, paired with the whimsy of like Peter and Wendy and this young love and. How sometimes you think you see people everywhere and the one she talks about, I saw you at the bus stop. I didn't though. Like in the grocery line, like, you know, you see shadows, you kind of like wonder if you see somebody, but you don't, it's, I don't know. I, 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 I love it all. I think that, um, cardigan, it, it makes me feel feelings and, uh, it's very astute and very simple all the same. Cause it's just like, and when I felt like I was an old cardigan under someone's bed, you put me on and said I was your favorite. And when I first started, I didn't know if I loved that, but now I very much do. Last Great American Dynasty is a piece of art. And again, I'm breezing through these because I just want to go over lyrics and I'll talk more about different songs and stuff later. And I'm going to go through these individually on Patreon. Um, Last Great American Dynasty, I was kind of like, okay, this is storytelling that's more akin to traditional country. This feels more like I am not your average girl who should be rudely barging in on a white bill occasion. You know, like I know it's either normally I'm like, oh, it's a metaphor. Um, like I know you're not literally Romeo and Juliet, but I get the vibe you're going for. But this, like, right out the gate, is like Rebecca rode up on the afternoon train. It was sunny. I'm like, who's Rebecca? I was so confused, and uh, I was like, okay, okay, okay. And then the first time she said she had a marvelous time ruining everything, I was like, oh my god, that's the line. That is it. Oh wow, 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 wow. It reminded me of like good John Lewis, good trouble. It reminded me of uh, well-behaved women really, you know, make history. Uh, by Rachel Hollis. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's a very home goodsy quote, but it makes you think too, uh, in terms of uh, the importance of disruption to a degree. And then I was just like having fun, enjoying the story, and like a, I'm like a moron. I just had no idea this is going to come full circle and be about her. Uh, and when she said, and then it was bought by me. I have goosebumps even saying that right now. And then goes on to who knows if I had never showed up, what could have been. There goes the loudest woman this town has ever seen. I had a marvelous time ruining everything. I mean, wow, 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 wow. Uh, you might recall the, the uh, in Rhode Island, like, I think that house was vacant for a long time when she bought it in 2013. She tried to mark off, like, a piece of the property as a private beach that I think was formerly public and the town wasn't happy. They tried to... Um, mandate like a tax that, that was like called the taylor swift tax on houses over a million dollars uh i mean she had security around she had all these celebrities around i think that, that booked up the nearby hotel like I, I don't think that like she was well, as welcome in the town as as warmly as maybe she wanted to and can draw parallels to rebecca in that sense who was kind of this um destructive wild woman who actually had quite a tragic life and who largely was marked by a level of misunderstanding by the press um that I think Taylor can identify with. And I love the idea of the folklore she's passing along as uh, the, the folklore having like, a you know, a segment of a, a shared 
interest or common thread and the common thread being this house is uh and being misunderstood public figures is really interesting and even though uh stole his dog and died at key lime green is the worst lyric in the, on the album just because it's too literal for me and i don't like it it seems like abusive but also it was supposed to be a cat like the real story is a cat and i don't love that she changed it to a dog i'm like hey what's wrong with dogs it's like she didn't want a cat to be green but i don't want a dog to be green regardless um who knows if i never showed up what could have been there goes the loudest woman this town has ever seen i had a marvelous time right like are you kidding storytelling bring it back to yourself it's so good and uh it kind of to me is like almost the um passage of like this era of her life the tame America of it all you know uh i i felt like i was there i experienced you know fomo like no other during those fourth of july parties i will never understand how a bunch of people i don't know for a place i'd never get invited to for a host i've never met could make me feel such intense fomo that I was just like, screw the fireworks, screw the burgers and dogs, the togetherness. I'm glued to Tame America. I must know what inflatable objects they have this year. Are they wearing patriotic bikinis? How many cakes do we have with strawberries for stripes and blueberries for stars? I, 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 that party is everything. (laughs) I want, I can't even imagine how fun that is. And I don't think it'll ever happen again. And I almost wonder if she like put it past her, like her bachelorette days. But I, I personally really enjoyed the squad years. Uh, I mean, exile blew my mind uh, when he comes in and says, so step right out. There is no amount. I had to hide in my shirt. Um, this song I'm going to d- deep dive into with Kelly on Patreon. I know I keep saying that, but like I literally I can't dive into 16 songs. I've barely spent time with like this short amount of time. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to keep it high level. But some of the standouts here, like, and it took you five whole minutes to pack us up and leave me with it. That the notion of uh, when you're the one, who, when there's an unrequited breakup and someone initiates it, typically they are. It's they're not coming out of nowhere and just being like, "I'm done." They, they've been uh, plotting this for a long time and leaving you out of the conversation that they're having with you in their head. And then once you finally get brought into the decision making of what's supposed to be your mutual relationship, you're left out in the cold. And not only uh, do they pack up and leave, so swiftly relative to your awareness of there being any issue or having any ability to to uh, compromise or work on it they they pack you up so quickly so frivolously and beyond that don't even take the baggage with them they leave it with you to sort through and i think that's really poetic in terms of um the thought of like packing up and leaving when you live together but you leaving all your shit with the person and uh, like giving them that burden which emotionally it's 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 so accurate I've also never heard anyone refer to a new uh, lover as uh, I, like when she says, I can see you staring, honey, like he's just your understudy. Like what? That it's brilliant. It's a brilliant way to be like, you're perceiving this man in my life as a person who is a temporary fill in for you. And you'll ultimately come back and be the, the rightful star of the show. And like, that's in, that's in such an interesting metaphor. And uh, beyond that, I mean, this is, this is like I said, this is the this is what I needed from Kid Rock and Shell Crow when they did Picture. They kind of had the same monotonous harmony, but the monotonous harmony in Exile, and I don't mean that in a rude way, I mean it in the way that I think it's supposed to be. It's so beautiful in how they go like uh, tit for tat of how they were in the exact same relationship, but of two totally different versions of the truth and two di- different perceptions of what happened. And I think we're all probably 
taken by you because you never gave a warning sign. And she says, I gave so many signs. I mean, it's unbelievable. And um, I love this song so much. My Tears Ricochet is, is, a, is an early favorite, a big favorite. Um, this song to me is like so clearly about uh, her relationship with uh, Scott Borchetta and kind of like how their, the, their mutual success is contingent upon one another. And when she says, if I'm made of fire, you'll be made of ashes too. It's kind of like Dixie Chicks. If I fall, you're going down with me. Like, like they made it together. They made each other. Without the break, Scott wouldn't have, without Scott giving her a break, she, you know, theoretically he started and launched her career. Without Scott having an artist like Taylor, he wouldn't have a label worth selling off for $300 million. Like, even on her worst day, did she deserve, babe, all the hell you gave her? Like, no. And like, you listen to songs like Long Live, and it's like, because I loved you. I swear I loved you till my dying day. Um, I didn't have it in myself to go with grace and you're the hero flying around saving face. And if I'm dead to you, what are you at the wake? Are you kidding me? Sorry, it's nighttime. Um, Cursing my name, wishing I stayed. Look at how my tears ricochet. The softness and the um, juxtaposition of what should normally be like a bullet and a really hard and damaging object to ricochet off of something. Um, Being a tear is really interesting considering the teardrops on her guitar. And the notion of the kind of the opposing ideals of cursing my name and also wishing I stayed. Look at how my tears ricochet. And I think this whole situation upset her so much. And there's an acknowledgement of like this other person being greatly affected too, whether they admit it or not. And um, like, honestly, this song is this song is brilliant. It is poetry. It's insane. It's like this is the only song she wrote fully by herself. I think this is meant to be like, this is mine. I'm not collaborating on this these are my words and unlike the life's work you stole from me and the credit you're taking for all that i did uh let me and only me tell you in my words uh how that made me feel and even things like we gather stones never knowing what they'll mean like throw stones at glass houses like you kind of keep score and prepare your side even though when you don't the fight hasn't even happened you don't even know what's going to go down yet but you start to gather stones when there's a fundamental breaking of trust before anything's necessarily broken. Right. And, um, some, you throw some to make a diamond ring, like (laughs) what? And then she wear the same jewels that I gave you as you bury me. She made him so much money if he, but you're dead to her. So if he's at the wake, I mean, so crazy. And, um, I remember her talking about how like Scott was always, Borchetta was always so encouraging of her when she like wrote the Apple music letter and, made some, you know, bold statements in her career, or even like was controversial within Big Machine when she switched genres to pop even. And when she'd fight, he used to tell her she was brave. But now all of a sudden her bravery is kind of translating into this mad woman, mad woman brand of gaslighting, where the more you tell me I'm mad and I'm crazy, I'm going to be more crazy. Like, when when did this shift happen? Um, And then like, I lost my mind. I can go anywhere I want, just not home. I see this as Nashville. I see this as the home and the the shelter uh, of her life's work and career and diaries and her safe place and all that she ever knew um, betrayed her. And I also see this as physically, you know, being able to go to Nashville and not be reminded of everything he is and everything he's touched and been involved with. And 
um, when you can't sleep at night, you hear my stolen lullabies. Like that's that lyric is unbelievable. And um, <clears throat> when you can't sleep at night, you hear my stolen lullabies. And he talks about, she talks about at some point, I can't find it. Um, like you, you still see my face in the neighbor's lawn or something. Um, and allegedly BMR big machine and UMG universal where she is now are next to each other. Um, music row. Sorry. That's not this song. That's mad woman. I'm getting them confused. And when I thought she said, um, mouth fuck, that was a good two minutes where I was like, Oh, wow. 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 We're, we're doing this. We're going here. <laughs> um, mouth folk. Uh, I also love that in Betty too. It's like, <laughs> would you have me? Would you want me? It's like a very, like, I don't know. It's like a very cutesy, almost country folksy song. That's like cute and about teenagers. It's like, would you have me? Would you want me? Would you tell you me to go fuck myself? And I was like, what? And like, I love that kind of um, folksy, cheery uh, storytelling. It's like more emblematic of her early career met with the maturity and the willingness to drop an F-bomb, which is the first album she's done that on. And honestly, I mean, I don't like I don't care. Garden, go F myself. Either way, I, I'm just happy to be here. I'll go folk myself, if you will. Um, Mirrorball is an outstanding metaphor for fame and it's uh, it's fragility. It's so breakable. It, it, even in its best case scenario, it's made up of a million shattered pieces that are simply designed to reflect the outside world and in really uh its core function isn't anything it it doesn't find its its uh function or footing in doing anything for its interior it's largely hollow it gets sole purpose out of um entertaining out of being a spectacle out of grabbing your attention but it can only fulfill its purpose uh so long as there's people there and they keep dancing and i think that there's this uh, so there's a beautiful metaphor in this song and in her billboard speech, she talked about her, you know, her whole career, uh, largely being about being a mirror for her detractors. And I think like this concept of, of being multifaceted and designed to, to scatter and reflect light and each fragment kind of treats light differently in that moment. And you can change everything about yourself to fit in. And that's one of the lyrics I love. And yeah, you're fundamentally broken and you're easily even more breakable. Um, but you're, you're perhaps more functional and more beautiful in your reassembly and and your function is entirely contingent upon your outside environment um it can only reflect the outside world barring the absence of a few conditions that enable it to fulfill its purpose uh it must be in constant movement and evolution it needs to have light on it spotlight specifically and it needs to have a crowd who keeps dancing until the music stops it's this inherently attention-seeking incredibly fragile item that is only wanted by other people in a very specific context but in that context it is deemed essential and thrives and i think that it's just like a really interesting metaphor for fame and the bridge is all about like i all i've never been a natural i do is try 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 i think of this often like i i, I relate to that so hard and um the obsession with like looking effortless and trying to like fit in and, and maintain people's attention and interest uh, requires a high level of obsessive effort to make yourself look somewhat effortless. But at the end of the day, do you really like I'm out here tap dancing? Um, and I just love when she yeah talks about burn the disco down the circus, uh, 
uh, she'll still be on the tightrope tightrope it's like i don't know i think there's a spookiness to this song it's not my favorite one to listen to but i think it's lyrically brilliant and it's incredibly relatable to uh, a people pleaser an entertainer and uh, beyond that a person who unfortunately finds their purpose in what they do for others and it leaves them with a hollow fragility on the inside that they are only left to deal with when the music stops. Um, seven is, uh, it's nice to have a friend revisited. It's, it's kind of that, uh, the notion of like, when you reflect on childhood, your memory is cemented as, uh, your, your, you know, level of your cognitive, your cognitive ability at that time, your, the way you process and understand things when you're a kid is so different than how you analyze them as an adult. And there's this interesting um, process of revisiting memories that were stored when you knew a lot less and didn't understand what was happening and looking at them as an adult. And that's a that's an element of folklore. Right. And uh, because sometimes those types of memories, it's hard to know, like, what's even accurate, what's highly edited by your brain, what you're what you didn't even register correctly because you didn't know what was going on. And to me, this is almost her revisiting a meaningful friendship when she was a child. Uh, appreciating the beauty of um, uh, what you appreciate when you're a kid and the simplicity uh, you find in the world. And um, the line, are there still beautiful things? Maybe cry, cry and break out of my COVID induced apathy. Um, because I just, I don't know. I think we all, we get so jaded and want for more and I, you miss that simplicity of just appreciating things that are, you find so beautiful. Um, and when she says, I can't recall your face, I still got love for you. And then kind of goes back to this very juvenile description of, I've been meaning to tell you, you think your house is haunted. Your dad is always mad and that must be why. And I think you should come live with me and we can be pirates and you won't have to cry or hide in the closet. And just like a folk song, our love will be passed on. I mean, it's so beautiful. And like, I think that's how she remembers it. It's like, oh, your dad's always mad. It's like your house must be haunted. Like that must be why. You can live with me. That's that's a thing. Like, just come stay at my place. We'll be pirates. I don't want you to be sad anymore. You don't have to hide from your dad. I uh, obviously can see the other flip side to hide in the closet, but I guess I don't um, ascertain anything else that's like semi-romantic from this song. But it's nice to have a friend kind of with that similar vibe of like, are you close friends or are you like debatably, you know, it's it's a little bit confusing, but um, I think this is just like a sweet song of recalling a friendship in childhood and realizing you totally misunderstood what it was looking back on it and recalibrating as an adult. And um, there's just beautiful this. It's the sound is ethereal and uh, nostalgic and haunting and lines like I before um, I learned civility. I used to scream ferociously anytime I wanted because we're, we're we're trained to hold back. We're not born that way. And it's just an amazing song. Then we get to August, which is just like a. It's it's like the it's kind of a aughts poppy number um, that I really really love and uh, is part of this love triangle. I need to explore later or maybe when I do the album breakdown because like I get who what's about who but I don't know I guess I'm not as um, in tune with like all the angles that it's coming from. I just kind of appreciating them for what they are. Um, but I love from this song, um, like the, I think this song t- sounds like Take That's Back for Good, 
when she's like, and I can see it's twisted in bed sheets. It's, it reminds me of whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, back when we were still changing for the better, I, I feel to uh, canceled plans just in case you'd call back when I was living for the hope of it all is like my essence. All, all I ever did in life was make myself available <laughs> just in case somebody would call. Uh, you don't want to miss that one opportunity to progress your relationship, especially if somebody's not already showing that much interest in you. Um, I love the imagery of meet me behind the mall. Uh, I at first was kind of connecting, like, remember when I pulled up and said, get in the car. And then I canceled my plans just in case you'd call back when I was living for the hope of it all, uh, for the hope of it all, meet me, meet me behind the mall. Um, I don't know this whole thing. I was like, kind of like, whoa, getaway car. Whoa, full summer. Whoa. At first, I was really thinking this connected to other things, but I guess as part of that's what I mean with not always wanting confirmation of the trilogy, because <laughs> it kind of takes from what I would probably have spiraled with this song. But I really genuinely love August. It's in my regular rotation. So this is me trying in and Epiphany are probably two of my least favorites, uh, but there are great lyrics in this. Um, I've been having a hard time adjusting. I had the shiniest wheels. Now they're rusting. I didn't know if you care. I came back. I have a lot of regrets about that. Um, I think this is largely about her career uh, and her disappearance. And it's kind of a song to her fans. Later, I'm going to tell you about structurally how I view and group these songs. And I'm sorry if anything's redundant. Um, kind of recorded this in pieces. Uh, they told me all my cages were mental. So I got wasted like all my potential. Are you kidding? Uh, I was so ahead of the curve. The curve became a sphere. And it, when I first heard that in my reaction video, I was like trying to do a hyperbola. And I'm like, what? But now I get it. It's like she was so ahead of the curve. She almost fell into a cycle she didn't see coming. And like the you know spherical mirror ball um, that is in constant rotation and evolution and uh, kind of stuck doing the same thing over and over. It, it, I don't know. I just think the sphere is like a really interesting metaphor. Um, and also it's kind of this whole notion of she's pouring her heart out, but she's not pouring the whiskey. Um, and this is another, uh, this kind of connects to exile in a weird way in terms of you're a flashback in a film reel on the one screen in my town and talking about, um, you know, not being in the, your town anymore in exile. And, uh, I think I've seen this film before, but I didn't like the ending. Uh, and also kind of connects to like, all I do is try, try, try and mirror ball. Illicit Affairs is a work of art that I did not get at first, and I was so focused on it seeming like an SAT lesson with uh, the words illicit, <laughs> clandestine, uh, what was the other one she has in here? Um, mercurial. I love the word mercurial. This album's merc mercurial. Um, I mean, it's like sneaky. It's sexy. Tell your friends you're out for a run. You'll be flushed when you return. Uh, hood over your head, keep your eyes down. This little call what you want. Take the road, let's travel by little Robert Frost. Um, started in beautiful rooms, ends with meeting in meetings in parking lots. I, I'll, I'll probably do like an hour on this song and I don't want to do it all now, but like, I just think that um, it's a really interesting, uh, well-written sensory depiction of, who's to say if the, if, I don't know if the affair is infidelity or it's in some sort of secret, in relationship of a secret nature for one reason or the other. But I think it paints this picture of, um, I feel like affairs typically are marked by their uh, early days of, of uh, excitement and uh, this forbidden nature and the passion that's associated with it. 
but this kind of captures um, the mundane nature and frustrating nature of the repetitive pattern of having to sneak around of you only getting high the first you know handful of hits and then it kind of plateaus off you're still addicted but there's no added value or continued incremental benefit um you just get more used to it over time uh yeah he still strangely can't live without it leave the perfume on the shelf that you picked out just for him leave no trace behind like you don't even exist like that's so interesting too of like you care so much that you want to be a certain way and you want to leave a certain impression but you have to completely erase yourself from it altogether because what you're doing is fundamentally wrong the way she sings like just for him uh mercurial high uh the, the, i love how the notes go up at the end of the verse and uh i mean this this bridge is unbelievable um you want to scream don't call me kid don't call me baby look at this god forsaken mess that you made me you show me colors you know i can't see with anyone else I mean, it's so good, guys. Um, invisible string is such a beautiful metaphor for faith, fate that I had never thought of. And uh, I'll talk about this later. This is the one song I would tie as closely to like her actual current life now. That is enough allusions to Joe that's like obviously from her perspective. And I don't know, I'm not like a fictional character, which is what I was kind of trying to discern. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, a beautiful metaphor of thinking of how all of your to quote Jada Pinkett Smith entanglements uh, over the years were uh, necessary steps to get you untangled to the place where you finally were tethered to the right person directly in front of you. And you were meant to meet and going to meet all along. And I think it's actually a nod to it, um, a Hemingway quote from something that says, isn't it pretty to think? Because um, it's almost said that way on purpose. Like it, it's just like it's just like pretty and attractive and surface level and it's probably not really realistic but isn't it a pretty thought that it's kind of an interesting um descriptor to use as opposed to like something that uh is a little more adjacent to profound but no just pretty <laughs> you know not like stunning not earth shattering that groundbreaking it's it's not a, a conviction you hold yourself to it's just a love simply a lovely thought and uh i love that kind of tentative nature of approaching fate something that a lot of people would approach with a lot of conviction but similar to hoax it's like a level of belief in something that you also acknowledge the incredibly tentative nature of and i think uh that's what's interesting about the like kind of semi-love songs on here i'm actually going to talk about mad woman in a different context later but i didn't give the song enough time when i first heard it because i was a little tired and distracted because i thought she said mouthfuck um <laughs> But I think this is like a really important, interesting song about gaslighting and about uh, I, what I see to be like Scooter and Scott or whether I don't know, there's an element of involvement of like Carly, who I actually think is like an ex friend now, whether or not they were ever involved. Like, I just do not think they're friends anymore. I think especially Carly's still like siding with Scooter and, you know, she's been on his yacht. They take vacations together, like the firing at the yacht, the hating me brought you together. I just think that there's a lot of different integrations of people that Scooter's close, close with that could kind of relate to um, people banning against her and the women that hunt witches too on his behalf. This is one of the biggest call out lines of the album that kind of like blew me away it, just in terms of how frank it is in terms of um, uh, uh, the master of spin has a couple side flings. Good wives always know she should be mad. She should be scathing like me, but no one likes a mad woman um, almost implying that 
her fear of being difficult because men respond so poorly to difficult women and gaslight them into thinking they're crazy or <laughs> the Betty Broderick of it all um, it, it, it disables them from speaking up and they're almost caught in their 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 web in this horrible uh, cycle. And I don't know, we'll get into it later, but I think it's a really interesting song. It's not one I'm going to listen to all the time, uh, but I think it's important. It's giving epiphany. Um, so Betty is from the perspective of James, whereas Cardigan's from the perspective of Betty, and I believe August is from the perception of Inez. Is that right? I'll go over this a little later. Uh, but yeah, I told you I, how much I love the sing-songy nature of the chorus. Leave me to the garden or tell you to go after yourself. Those are really the two options when you come to my house. Um, I It's just a cute, upbeat song. It's one of my favorites. It's not that lyrically complex, but it's catchy as hell. And it's whimsy. It ties into the rest of the album beautifully. Um, it, it, I don't know. It ties back to Cardigan, ties back to the streetlights. Um, even like the way she says, like, stupid friends. It reminds me of like the fearless version of Taylor. Uh, it's, I don't know. This is very fearless to me, but mature. It's a funny thing where like, I like this sonically, I like August and Betty, though I don't find them as lyrically astute as a mere baller. This is me trying, but those are songs I'm not as drawn to the sound of. And so I listen to like August and Betty more. I don't know. It's a cute song. It's a great song. It completes allegedly the love, love triangle. Uh, and it's a jolly prequel to the song that destroyed me most of all, which is peace, which I'll get into at some point, but I just identify wholeheartedly with the song as kind of a uh, person who is, uh, very, I, I'm, I'm marked with a lot of, um, unrest and ambition and high expectations that I think, um, it can make me a complicated partner. I, 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 my default setting is not peaceful. I'm like calm and I can be pretty breezy, but I think I have so much um, interior dissatisfaction and uh, uh, such a calling for th like this purpose. I can't even put my finger on that. I'll probably never fulfill. That's why I obsess over the satisfaction theme of Hamilton. And um, the way she talks about like, I'm a fire and I'll keep your brittle heart warm. I don't know. I just like so much, so many aspects of this song. It's like, I know I'm not desirable, but I have my perks. And uh, I kind of, I guess, I think a, a lot of us feel that way about ourselves, right? Like, I think a lot of people are like, I'm the shit, I'm the best partner. But like, I don't feel, I certainly don't feel that way about myself. Um, and I'm appreciative to my partner for loving me as I am. And uh, I don't know, like the line, I mean, to not, like truly knocked me off my feet. All these people think love's for show, but I would die for you in secret. The devil's in the details, but you've got a friend in me. She is in the details. She is the weeds. She is the, com the complexity and the um, minutia uh, that I I completely relate to that. But I love the the wordplay and that juxtaposition of like, uh, even though the devil's in the details, I'm in the details. But you've got a friend in me. Would it be enough if I could never give you peace? Uh, you also probably heard me weep through the Hamilton deep dive of the notion, the song um, uh, that would be enough. Uh, I love that song, and I just think that uh, the opposing ideals of for, for, forever seeking satisfaction but never allowing yourself to have it, but also hoping that something could be enough, you could be enough. It's it, they're, they're two interesting things to try and pursue at once because they are completely in opposition. And um, 
even though nothing's never enough for you, you hope you're enough for somebody else. And the way she talks about, I talk shit with my friends, like I'm wasting your honor. I'd swing with you for the fences, sit with you in the trenches, give you my wild, give you a child, give you silence that only comes when two people understand each other. Family that I chose, now I see your brother as my brother. And this is where it's robbers to the east, clowns to the west, and the west was capitalized in the lyric video, i.e. Kanye, I assume. Um, I give you my sunshine, I give you my best, but the rain is always going to come if you're standing with me. Um, this is very like follow up to the archer, like who would ever leave me, darling, who would stay. Uh, I love this song. It's so beautiful. It's so meaningful. I love that the song was like Dylan-y uh, notion of separation from the cadence of the words with the melody. And um, yeah, which leads us to hoax. Uh, I know I'm like breezing through these, but I, <laughs> since I'll probably just like ramble on about all sorts of things for those that just wanted to like talk about some of the songs and lyrics, wanted to talk about this first, but yeah, hoax. It's like, I don't know. On the one hand, I could see a group of these songs like hoax and uh, sorry, exile and hoax calling back to like a former relationship in a sense. But the, the weird part about hoax is it's both like kind of um, like hopeful and clinging to what seems to be like true and incredibly important to this person, yet it has no faith in it. But it's kind of a no double negative of you're the only hoax I believe in. So I do believe in you, even though I acknowledge there's an element of here that it's a disconnect from reality. Uh, it's interesting that this is one of the last songs, given that you know, all the talk of COVID being a hoax and all the conspiracy theories that go on, you know, these days. And like, even the notion of not all folklore is positive. There are elements of uh, stories that get passed down, oral traditions that are problematic and untrue. And uh, I kind of wonder if that title plays into that. I don't know. I'm not, I struggle with this song because I don't know if it's about a current relationship, an ex relationship, if it's a kind of a more romantic metaphor for the type of pain that she was put through by like Scott, for example, I need to hear the lakes. I feel like for more context, which I think, which um, I need to listen to and got leaked. Uh, anyway, guys, I'm not sure about hoax. I don't have any good insight for you right now. I just wanted to like go do, I was trying to do like a quick run through of my favorite lyrics, but how long did that take me? Roughly 45 <laughs> minutes. Um, anyway, but I don't know. So long story short, I, I, I want to talk more about how I feel about this album overall, but on the granularity of the lyrics, because I think symbolically there's so much more here. Also, just like a quick mid-episode reminder, if you're at all enjoying this or it adds value to your life or you have a Swifty friend that like might enjoy it too, if you'd consider sharing it to your story, that would make all the difference. Uh, my handle's at be there in five. And yeah, it's just kind of how us independent podcasters grow. And I'm so appreciative of all of you guys that through word of mouth that have spread this over time. It means so much. But anyway, getting back to obsessing over folklore. <laughs> I think it's so interesting about this album too, is what she said in the prologue in terms of, I gotta stop saying in terms of, um, that in isolation, her imagination has run wild. And this album is the result of a collection of songs and stories that flowed like a stream of consciousness. Picking up a pen was my way of escaping into fantasy, history, and memory. Uh, is so interesting to me because I mean, well, a wish I could say the same, but unfortunately, I just you know did a whole podcast episode about dipping sauces, for example. I believe another one was me vo verbally just walking through Marshalls because I missed going to retail stores. We can't all uh, thrive amidst isolation, but Taylor certainly did. And part of me is like, you know, w in that context, 
does this album feel so her? Because for once, she didn't have the have anybody in her ear. Nobody even knew she was making it. She wasn't burdened by, you know, how do I generate interest? How do I generate hype and buzz? How do I do a three month marketing lead up? You know, like how do I figure out some sort of attention grabbing antics to pull people in comparable to past eras that a label would most certainly expect of you, especially having engaged in the that style of a marketing machine before? I don't know about you guys. Like, I have thoughts on the Lover era. I, it was, I love the album, but something about her energy and engagement was off to me. And when I say off, I don't mean like wrong or bad or to insult her. I mean, it's just, I, I don't feel like that she seemed like herself amidst Lover promo. But to be fair, Reputation was like an album marked with bitterness and was you know designed to be in contrast to everything she had been before i think she fundamentally changed after reputation but the expectations of what her album cycle would look like hadn't changed and she shifted to a new label and almost had to meet or exceed this certain expectation and i feel anyways hold on hold on hold that thought i wanted to thank one of our sponsors in the name of creativity and and producing art and monetizing art at that I love working with Skillshare. They are one of my favorite advertisers to work with because they're an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. Whether you want to explore new skills, just get lost in your creativity, deepen your existing passions, there's honestly something for everybody. One of their popular classes right now is, well, it's a specific example of floral design within Procreate, which is an iPad program for an iPad Pro with a stylus. And that's what my entire book was illustrated on. And it took me like 87 browser tabs in a year to self-teach what Skillshare could have probably taught me in an hour. Uh, it's really incredible tool with that gives you access to brilliant subject matter experts in a community. And beyond that, what I love is Skillshare has really been focusing on helping people to creatively express themselves in terms of the important conversations that are happening in our world. The importance of our voices manifesting in a tangible way, like with content creation, that sometimes can be a little bit more complicated than meets the eye. And when I was recently browsing, they currently have a really awesome curated list of Black educators and artists whose work opens conversations and inspires creativity and is really designed to drive change, whether it's uh, digital illustration for cultivating and sharing your unique personal style to uh, digital poster design, creative writing, street and documentary photography, uh, discovering your own creative voice, fundamentals of DSLR photography, powerful storytelling, strategies for crafting great content, video on a budget even. I, what I love is there's such a range of focus on the, the trade and the skill itself, but also in the nuts and bolts that go behind the operations and management and, and scaling and whatever it may be of your craft should you want to take it further, but also should you just want to enjoy yourself and indulge in some self-care for a well-deserved moment and try something new creatively, like why not? It's such a great way to escape. It's very affordable. Once you complete your free trial, which I'll offer you shortly, uh, this an annual subscription is less than $10 a month for thousands of classes, like in education. I mean, truly, you can't put a price on it, but if you do want to get it for free for a couple of months, you can explore your creativity and get two free months of premium membership at Skillshare.com slash be there in five. That's two whole months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com slash be there in five. That's two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes at Skillshare.com slash be there in five. Thanks so much to Skillshare.
And as always, the codes are my episode notes and on my website. If you need a refresher, what was I talking about? Um, I think this record, not only is it the indie record much cooler than hers, but it's also the sonic cohesion. I think she's always seeking that she felt uh, red lacked that she got with 1989 and got a Grammy when rep didn't get I mean, um, any of the credit it deserves. I will forever argue that rep is fantastic body of work. She said, I'm just, I just got to make a better record. And she made Lover. And Lover's incredible, too, in its own right. Lover was almost, I think, having to come full circle and go back in that big lead-up marketing cycle with her new label and start out you know, strongly and kind of pander to a more pop style. I will have at the top, top, top of my favorite songs always have Cruel Summer, Death by a Thousand Cuts, Cornelia Street. I mean, Lover had some fantastic songs, and uh, but it also had a lot of a lot of the love songs were from a more uh, juvenile lens lyrically. And I don't mean that as an insult, but rather something that does align thematically with things like Paper Rings and London Boy. Uh, and I think he knows. I forgot that you existed. These songs were a welcome departure from the darkness of rep and were balanced with lyrical genius and like Death by a Thousand Cuts and Daylight and the like. But understandably, I think with a lot of like upbeat love songs, they almost warrant a more simplistic uh adolescent way of talking because that's how you feel when you fall in love and are in the early stages the profundity of love i think comes with uh time and with loss and uh this album folklore is such an interesting exploration of what i'd actually call loss but not in the way that i think it's a breakup album or i think it has any one point but in the way that it explores storytelling in a way that is is sentimental and while sentiment you know being sentimental is inherently positive it's also met with a, a somber undertone from the loss of the thing you're feeling sentimental toward there's always like even if you're feeling it in in the present moment towards something it's you're likely also grappling with how much time has passed or how things used to be or your favorite memories with that person or how it felt when you did X, Y, or Z. Like this album is so largely sentimental. And in that there's a lot of somber and sad undertones, but I'd also argue that the, uh, the somber nature, a lot of the nostalgia is, is, is addressed with is, is also hopeful. I, I, I also think that there's a presence in the nostalgia. It's not like overly hung up on the way things were rather, it reflects on what you learned from it or the way you felt during it. It's not a, a petty grab at finger pointing or saying what happened or garnering revenge. It's all about the folklore, the, the feelings and remnants of a situation you were once in that have now been passed through your memory so many times. It's a, it's a highly edited version of your memory almost that you yourself at times struggles to delineate between fantasy in reality fact and fiction do you ever feel like sometimes i'm like was that my memory or somebody else's or you tell a story so many times you can't remember if you're retelling how you told it or you're retelling it how it happened i think there's so many fascinating elements of folklore that i'll get into but um i think what really struck me too was the timing of this being amidst the pandemic and how um pun be much intended in tune the sound was with the times we're in because we're mourning the loss of the world we once knew 
uh, and nostalgic for it all the same and hopeful that we'll return to creating memories with other people all the same when we're all kind of amidst an isolation, if not entirely physical, certainly at times emotional as we weather through the many, uh, you know, political, social and COVID related uh, discrepancies many people are feeling amongst their nearest and dearest. It's a tough time to connect with people. It's a tough time to reconcile our own feelings. And I think that I didn't know I needed to emote through song. And I, t- I tell you, I basked in the glory and I laughed and all, you know, I, I cried and all those things. But like when I say that, I also mean I did, I kind of wept through the entire thing. I tried to cut it up in my reaction video to not make it look that way, but I believe I didn't cry until I made it to the line in the one uh, we never painted by the numbers, babe, but we're, we're making it count, you know? I just needed one lyric I liked and then I was done. By the time I got to peace, I was on the floor. Like quite literally, I, I, I collapsed. So if you want to know how that went for me. But um, anyways, to get, to, to get into it. I guess on this episode, I just I want to talk about my reaction to it, what I love, the through lines I see, the theme of it. I'll highlight some key songs. My plan is to go in depth on the individual tracks with separate episodes on my Patreon. That's also where like my what two is it two hours of footage? No, maybe like 90 minutes uh, of my reaction video. It's on patreon.com slash be there in five. It's content behind a paywall, but Beyond getting paid for work, which, you know, artists and creators, it's nice to get paid for what you do. Uh, you guys like literally kept me afloat amidst the pandemic when all my advertisers canceled. So God bless. Um, beyond just like having your support and co-signing that you like what I'm doing, it's uh, it's less of a money grab and more like I can't make my entire iTunes feed like 16 episodes that go song by song because then I'll turn into a Taylor Swift podcast. I have to be mindful of niching down on the regular feed. But that's why Patreon's amazing because I have Gilmore Girls deep dives, I have Hamilton deep dives. I I can uh, go song by song and really like get into it. And I want and I'm supposed to see my sister soon, and we're gonna record some of them together. And I'm just really excited about it. So um, yeah, p a t r e o n dot com slash be there in five is where I'll do more of the granular song analyses. There's just there's so much there, <laughs> and like the one thing I love about the Taylor Swift fandom is I can kind of unapologetically obsess over like syllables, you know. Like not even songs, like just really, really get needlessly detailed. And uh, like, for example, in the song seven, when she the, the stanza is, I hit my peak at seven, which would suggest the age of seven. And the next line goes straight into feet in the swing over the creek. So she hit her peak at seven, but also the peak of her, her swinging at seven feet above the creek. I was just stuff like that. I love kind of like um, I think a lot of the wordplay and ready for it's really underrated. Like holding him for ransom, some, some boys are trying too hard. And then we'll move to an island and, and he can be my jailer. Ugh, then freaking Burton to this tailor. I, I love Burton to this tailor. We just talk about how we've come a long way from Romeo and Juliet. Love story is one of my top all, all time. Always will be. She, she, she can never not play that song, right? It's, it's, it's the best. And the TikTok trend happening right now to it is amazing. But, um, the the literary references or allusions to film to literature etc have gotten so astute and i just heard a leaked version of the lakes today and she had this brilliant wordplay with people telling her something like what are my words worth like her the worth of her words 
but it's capitalized and it's a last name of William Wordsworth, the famous romantic poet. I'm like, are you kidding? Also, I'm obsessed with like the I'm obsessed with romantic poets. I'm obsessed with transcendentalists. I'm obsessed with like Walden Pond of it all. I'm very I don't know. I'm very interested in like old timey uh, writers and poets and people that kind of had to go to great environmental extremes to bring out their creativity because I'm struggling so much with mine and writing stuff right now. And uh, anyways, long story short, I'm trying to find like a KJP level, like cabin with a roaring fire with a buffalo check blanket, buttery, distressed leathers. I, I need a twinkle lights aplenty. I, I'd, I'd love that there was a golden retriever in a hot tub underneath said twinkle lights with a mug of inexplicable, inexplicable coffee next to him because he is a dog without opposable thumbs. I, I, I would love to have like an old timey, I don't know, like truck or wagon of some kind that I can put a projector screen on. And, you know, what, what are people like me supposed to do? Watch Hocus Pocus while I pretend to be comfortable on a picnic blanket without lumbar support? And also somehow while laying down without lumbar support, I'm supposed to be able to drink a, you know, piping hot cocoa with the needless amount of mallows atop it. I'm obsessed with these uh, autumnal porn accounts that just Photoshop the crap out of everything to make it look cozy as hell. And it works. I'm here for it. I follow them all. Uh, One being at KJP, if you want to see what I'm talking about. Uh, But the other piece of that, too, is I don't remember what season they fall in, but like I'm from the East Coast. I know the perils of gumballs in a yard. I know the realities of a slightly unkempt leafy yard and sitting on a picnic blanket, the lumpiness of the gumballs underneath. I mean, it's just the whole thing's unrealistic. And I don't I can't stand idly by while people pretend that that level of fall coziness is accessible because it's not. And the problem, just like photoshopping your body, is we don't want to project unrealistic standards. And to some of us that have kind of given up on our figures, the thing I care about and want to emulate need in my life and crave is fall coziness. And I hate watching people write checks that I can't cash. I'm just never going to achieve that level of north northeastern charm i so desire and uh anyways that's not what this podcast is about why was i talking about that oh because yeah I, i'm trying to like send myself on a writing retreat uh, not necessarily by myself i'll probably see if courtney will come with me because <laughs> uh, i like her company um and she likes ball things but i don't know i'm just very eager to go somewhere else and this this album really didn't help how badly i i'm seeking a cabin vibes or mountainous vibes but anyway so yeah, the title Folklore was so interesting to me because when I first heard it, I was transported to my Appalachian Studies class at Virginia Tech, where we literally learned about like moonshine and Pentecostal churches and many stories of folklore. But that's a common misnomer of the term folklore and that it has something to do with, um, you know, more rural uh, cultural references and or what many are referring to on the Internet, which I love is cottagecore. Can I please read you the definition of cottagecore? I'm obsessed with this. I've seen her this album referred to that a million times. And I'm just like here for this segment of the Internet. Cottagecore is an Internet aesthetic which celebrates a return to traditional skills and crafts such as foraging, baking and pottery and is related to similar nostalgic aesthetic movements such as grandma core, farm core, goblin core and fairy core. I'm obsessed. I need Barkart core. I need millennial core. I need fiddly fig core, you know? I'm, I have a lot of fruit and vegetable allergies. It's things like pits and core. So I need like, I don't know. I need like no core core. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I just, I think the concept of an internet aesthetic is interesting because where bloggers like curate their feeds and people almost don't respect it. And the the concept of like this internet aesthetic and like really committing to a theme is quite respected elsewhere, like Tumblr, TikTok even. 
but anyway, I, yeah, like I, I think my instinct was to think rural, think rustic. I think the dress code is woodland creature chic, for example. Uh, and it's not totally off base, but it's it's folklore in a different sense than I think people are used to hearing the term. And beyond that, I think that the term folklore in this uh, context is incredibly poetic because the the academic definition of folklore hinges on one thing, which is the, a group of people that have one thing in common. And the lore, the canon, the stories the aesthetic, the atmosphere, the vernacular, all the things surrounding a singular common interest. And what I think is so interesting is that I've never thought about that in the context of a fandom. And the canon a fandom adheres to is a level of engagement that's truly unheard of. And the poetry I see here is Taylor Swift having lived her whole life, her words, not mine. Uh, recently realizing she operated as a mirror for her detractors. She she designed a career in direct response to all the things people said she couldn't do. And through watching her in Miss Americana, through listening to her billboard speech, I felt so acquainted with a more mature self-actualized Taylor that I think has reached the conclusion many of us unfortunately don't reach till our late 20s, maybe 30s. And that at the end of the day, the only thing you can be genuinely proud of aren't your hollow attempts at things that only benefit you on a superficial level, you know, like arbitrary success and fame and clout and money. What honestly matters is your integrity. And integrity isn't the enforcement of somebody else's morals and values of what they perceive to be good or right or a good role model, or a good example. Integrity is upholding your own morals, values, interests, and convictions. And I think that women are plagued their entire lives with pandering and people-pleasing to the point where we struggle to discern where our truth ends and our desire to make others comfortable begins. And this is something I've dissected a lot in recent years that, and I know through Miss Americana, Taylor has too. And the last time, at least I feel like I heard from her in a meaningful way, was that billboard speech on the eve of her 30th birthday, where she said, and as for me, lately I've been focusing less on doing what they say I can't do and more on doing whatever the hell I want. <laughs> and that's some big 30 energy, you know what I mean? And this is this is what I hoped would carry through. And then when I heard those words, I'm doing good, I'm on some new shit. I was like, yes, I wonder what it is. On, on to new, like a new album, you switch from wine to like edibles. Did you, I don't know, I feel like I'm on some new shit, but that new shit is TikTok. Um, who really knows? But those first few words were were certainly amazing. And uh, I guess to get back to my point, I think that um, her past eras, the, the, the poetry I find in the name folklore, I think she spent the majority of her career trying to have a great deal of control uh, in terms of how the media perceives and covers her, how her fans perceive her, how the general public, uh, you know, how, if they approve of her or not. And I think that 
the lore that surrounds her, whether it's the narratives with her exes and the slideshows of men, that she writes songs about boys as revenge, that, you know, the squad goals of it all, her Grammy speech, the Kim and Kanye thing. In one sense, I think she got to that level because of meticulously managing her image and reputation, only to realize at a certain point, you have no control over how people perceive you. And I think she admittedly, you know, kind of experienced the irony of soaking the flames of the media firestorm that burned her. She was so ahead of the curve, the curve became a sphere. She, she started it. It finished her. But it was a necessary process to allow for, for reinvention and reconstruction. But with this album, I kind of see her turning, in, turning it on its head, taking ownership. And instead of perceiving the stories that surround her as, as unfair gossip, she's romanticizing it as folklore. There's this subject matter expert uh, that has since passed about folklore named Alan Dunes. And he talks about how... Folklore is crucial to a knowledge of the human experience because it's an autobiographical ethnography. It permits a view from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And I love that way of explaining it because I kind of think within a fandom that your convictions are often because you you get it, like you're in it. There There's elements of truth from the artist or person, yes, but also there's very little delineation from which elements of, of canon are fact versus fiction. Beyond that, he talked about how more so than any other form of human evidence, through folklore, you can find people's own unself-conscious picture of themselves. And I also really liked this because I think we look to art and literature, movies, TV, whatever, music, whatever it is, to use other people's words to apply to our own situation that we may not always have the words for, to feel less alone in our situations, to look at them through a more rose-colored lens at times of their value and impact on our life, ultimately, even if they're painful in process. I think that that's a really interesting way to look at folklore, and it's so relevant to what I view Taylor's music to be to her fans, because I think that we're so invested because her music gives us an unselfconscious view of ourselves. She wrote the words, not us. So we're able to emote and explain ourselves through it without having to endure what can kind of be the painful introspection of having to assemble those words yourself. For me, it's almost this odd like GPS <laughs> that locates feelings and memories that I thought were completely off the map. And uh, I don't know, I guess, long story short, I just clinical mapping we tend to do of her lyrics to uh, her you know love life her personal life to various events in her life it's it's a something we don't do with other artists and yes this is largely because she writes her own songs and she admittedly uh talked about them being autobiographical especially in the early days but even in reputation when she said all of the slideshows about all of the men these songs are about will be wrong and she said you only you never really know somebody you only know the version of them they choose to show you and then in lover she was said she was talking about all different types of love and it, i never really felt like she positioned it as one linear narrative but people kind of still took it that way to be about her present life and then even in this album she's talked about how 
she's telling other people's stories. There's different characters from different perspectives. There's a teenage love triangle. She said on country radio today that James is a boy in the song Betty. And I think that people are a little bit <laughs> upset by that. More on that later. Um, I have thoughts. But I think it's interesting how it's like it's 2020. The last time she was seen with Harry Styles was like 2012. She's had she's only ever had one photo with John Mayer. And like it, it, for an album to come out and for like the flood of DMs, I'll get about these people. Like, yeah, maybe she is nostalgic for a love lost. I, I think the point of folklore is that it's probably tapping into a lot of uh, previous emotions, relationships and experiences. The slideshow of it all, like this is the lore she cannot escape and the lore that I think drove her crazy. And to be quite frank, drives me crazy um, just in the insistence to like figure out who they're about. And I've hugely contributed to that folklore. Uh, and it is fun. And I think a lot of her music has major major hints and a lot of her music is pretty literal but then when she says it's not it's funny that people still don't believe her so you're just kind of damned if you do damned if you don't it's it's interesting how it her own personal narrative went from i write songs in a confessional autobiographical manner and it is what it is and the lore that came from that of her allegedly writing about her exes and writing revenge songs and all of that was so fascinating to the media and then with this album, the title folklore, the way she described it, the way she describes the characters and perspectives and how she played with the art of storytelling. I just think it's this interesting shift where she's maybe finally acknowledging and accepting the loss of control she has over how people receive what she makes regardless of her intentions. And this reframing of you know, you can see the chatter that surrounds you as, as needless, cumbersome gossip, or you can romanticize it as folklore. As your art and your stories get passed around and manipulated over the great game of telephone that is time, one could, you could forever marinate in, in your frustration that no one will leave you alone, that no one seeks the truth or gets it right. Or you can kind of take a more meta approach and not only accept the inevitable interpretation that will come from any art you create, but actively contribute to it, not create in spite of it. Folklore is constantly being created and recreated and adapted to new, to new situations. And that's kind of the whole point. It doesn't die out. It just evolves. And Taylor Swift probably wants so many old narratives and media tropes about her to die out, but they likely won't. And there's something really empowering to me about being both the author and the subject of folklore both the benefactor and the victim of the art you put out into the world and just accepting it for what it is. Like that complexity is kind of the beauty of it. And, and I loved the prologue and I read it at the top of the episode because to me, it symbolizes something much bigger than a literal translation of folklore. It's almost just like a back to basics approach to letting the work speak for itself for not needing to over explain it, not needing a three month marketing push and branding and positioning that so clearly communicates an aesthetic and feel for a particular era. It, it, it really, it's kind of a fascinating thing to me where it's an embracing of her life and her art as folklore in a romantic sense that once was perceived as the absence of truth and the misunderstanding of her reputation. But beyond that, it's kind of fascinating how, even though this is like a new, theoretically a new tailor it's this new category it's a new indie rock alternative genre and even though she hasn't done an album in this category before 
And even though she's acknowledging that much of the lore that surrounds her isn't even about her, that these songs aren't even about her, strangely, this album feels more her than any other. And I'm trying to grapple with like why I feel that way. It's so interesting. It's like, this is not her genre. <laughs> these are not songs about her. But why does it feel so her? And I've talked before about how like I almost don't want to know if the stories aren't about her. Like when I found out Death by a Thousand Cuts is about a movie, I kind of, you know, they create a distance or something. And I'm almost having to check myself and reevaluate my fandom and appreciation of her artwork because I myself get so caught up in my interest in her as a person and wanting to know more about her and feeling like her lyrics at a point were kind of all we had. But then to be told that the lyrics don't even contain the details of her life when she's not doing a ton of interviews. We're just like forever grasping at straws to try to find new information because we care. And I think there's nothing wrong with us wanting to, to kind of forever put the puzzle together to follow the treasure map. And I think largely she's there's still elements of that, of course. But I also think there's something to be said about respecting her as an artist and as a creative in that the mark of a great writer is a posture of empathy that enables them to tell stories and, and evoke emotion from a variety of different perspectives. And that is showcased in the work they create. And I've thought about this a lot, especially since I drink every time I bring up Jessica Simpson's memoir. I bring it up constantly in like in, in like work related contexts that you wouldn't normally be bringing up Jessica Simpson and whatever. It's fantastic. When I was at my Taylor Swift, uh, I have a, friend group and we meet weekly to discuss Taylor Swift lyrics and make a case for our favorites off the each album. Um, when we were talking about Speak Now, I picked Dear John and I talked about how I felt she was actually quite brilliant in using the play on title of a Dear John letter. And even though it was likely about John Mayer, I think it was uh, she underestimated people's knowledge of what a like the colloquial well-known thing a dear john letter is and underestimated how literally people would take it and then the brilliance and beauty of the song was almost overshadowed by its petty association with an ex and at the time well i guess kind of the speak now red 1989 era in particular was just like what boyfriend is she writing about now and her work was really minimized uh, to just be a series of petty revenge anthems when, I don't know, anyway, I won't get into it, but part of my argument to my friend group was uh, when you put side by side the way Jessica Simpson describes her relationship with John Mayer and the lyrics of Dear John, it kind of corroborates Taylor's story almost spookily uh, in that she talks about living your chess game, you change the rules every day, uh, give love and take it away, all these things. And Jessica Simpson, the way she described it is like, he has to manufacture these scenarios in his own relationship. So he has inspiration to write, which is incredibly messed up when you think about it. And sure, art imitates life and you write about your own experiences. But I think the best writers and the best creatives are able to source inspiration from far more than what's in front of their face. And that is the biggest indicator of their their depth and their range. And uh I'm trying to be respectful of Taylor's ability to write fiction and to not be disappointed in things like the teenage love triangle or 
you know, in Betty or James being a dude or whatever, because like it's it's I don't know. For me, it's an exercise of appreciating art for art's sake and for trying to step out of the the, the tropes and the folklore largely that I tend to fall into when I'm absorbing anything she makes. That's kind of why I wanted the album to like aerate a bit and to take a couple of weeks and to like spend time with it. Cause I mean, besides the open weeping, my initial reaction was kind of like, Oh man, I wanted to know more about what's going on with her. And I think we get that in like invisible string and peace. And uh, you know, I like a lot of her experience with like scooter and Scott and stuff is, is evoked in this album. Um, but the love songs seem to de- be deliberately detracting for <laughs> she's throwing us off our scent for who the love songs are about. And I find it interesting, but anyway, um, what was I talking about? Anyways, I told you this is going to be a windy road. Uh, <laughs> I'll get into some of the songs and lyrics and stuff. And uh, I'm not above the like mapping of songs to people, but I am, I guess I'm just annoyed with like, I don't know, like it, from my perspective, when I like put a question box up on Instagram and asked like, what do you want to talk about with folklore? It was all, is she married? Is she pregnant? Is it Kaler? Is it Joe? Oh my gosh, Harry Styles. Oh my gosh, John Mayer. Oh my gosh, Joe Jonas. Which to be fair, she said, now I buy <laughs> the, she talked about the boys who broke their, her heart and now she buys their baby's presents, which to be fair is probably about Joe Jonas uh, and Sophie Turner. But I don't know. I guess like I'm, I'm, I, I created this, like I perpetuated this more than anybody. And I've talked about it on my podcast. I, I love her Easter eggs and symbolism and the way she reveals clues about her life. But I think I was just like a little disappointed or frustrated with how the the volume of interest in stuff that had nothing to do with the caliber of the work. And then I take a step back and see that I have a platform and influence. And I am a creator. I'm in the process of writing so many things that who knows will ever see the light of day. But like, I think that I just also it's like I have two sides of me. I have like the petty gossipy side that just wants to be like, oh, my God, hoax makes no sense. Is this a breakup anthem? And I'll still talk about that. But then there's a part of me that wants to stand up for artists that wants to not minimize women's work and reduce them to their relationship status, to their childbearing. Um, We can be both. We're all about range here. I'm as petty as I am introspective. And instead of trying to classify or brand myself as one or the other, I just try to be open about being both. So now that I've waxed poetic about just the theme for (laughs) what half hour plus. Um, So, okay, this album it is fascinating because not only is it a different genre and it's, you know, kind of like in like in pop indie rocks. I think it'll be officially nominated in the Grammy category of alternative, which is also pretty a pretty brilliant move. Though I don't think that was the core driver. I think it's a welcome byproduct that hopefully it'll get the recognition it deserves because pop music has really changed. I am not a longtime fan of the national and won't pretend I am. I don't dislike them. I just haven't spent a ton of time with their music though. The past couple of weeks I've been dabbling and his footprint is certainly on this album and his influence is certainly there. And I think it's a really interesting um, collaboration example. And I'd almost argue, I feel like the media has been over-focusing on her collaborators, which is fine, but I also think maybe they're the only ones that are willing to do media. And she kind of was like, yeah, talk about it. Cause if she wasn't going to, you know, cause the Aaron Dessner's interview with Vulture that goes song by song, which I'll walk through. Cause I think that's really kind of the only direct lens we have into a lot of it outside of what she said in her Instagram. Um, uh, not Instagram, sorry. The YouTube like Q and a thing beforehand. And I don't know. I just like, I love, I love how 
Aaron Dessner like speak so highly of her. I think like he had to keep it such a secret. His daughter's like a diehard fan and couldn't even tell his daughter he was working on it. He and his brother worked on it together amidst quarantine. I don't know. I'm very charmed by the whole thing. It's very like cabin cozy. Also, Exile blew blew me away. The the the, the husky deepness of Bonnie Vera's voice. I guess I'm not as familiar with his body of work as I thought I was because to me he's like his songs at least the ones I know, or, or then this like fluttery falsetto that I thought he was kind of known for. And I guess I hadn't really heard him sing in that sort of uh, deeper, almost monotonous uh, voice that he beautifully harmonizes with Taylor. But uh, it was just kind of, yeah, I don't know. I guess I was surprised that how amazing his voice sounded on that track. And it's a version of his voice I really quite like. Oh, was I, oh, I was talking about Aaron Dessner. And kind of how what he's saying about the album is largely what we know to be true about it really um because taylor said very little and she's like kind of it's funny she's so really engaged with tumblr but now she doesn't and uh now she's all up in twitter which i find really interesting i'm surprised she doesn't have a bigger footprint on tiktok but time will tell can i just say that like trump continuously threatening to take away tiktok but not take it away is like such a classic manipulator's behavior of uh, essentially threatening you with something. And when they don't do it, you wanting you to praise them for it. You know what I mean? It's like, I really think he's trying to like, I, I, get, I know that there's so many issues with data privacy. And I know a lot of the concerns are highly, highly warranted. And I don't think anybody with access to military U.S. intelligence of any kind should be sharing the location based or biometric data at a, that granular of a level with a communist nation. No, I, I think there's many problems. But I actually think the core of this TikTok ban has way more to do with his desire to uh, like middle finger Gen Z who use TikTok essentially to like try and take down his rally. But the irony is TikTok is lousy with QAnon theories, too. So it's not like it's a it's a far left watering hole. It's really breeds extremism in any capacity because of its storytelling format. And, uh, you know, the way it tells information is so compelling. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting thing anyway, totally off topic, but I, uh, I just, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm interested to see what happens and if it's kind of an empty threat and if it's a, both an FU and, uh, an attempt to get a sector of young people on his side by choosing to ultimately not do it. You know, it just seems pretty manipulative to me, unsurprisingly. Anywho, the way Aaron Dessner talked about, uh, T-Swift, I loved even just saying like, she's one of the most talented, hardworking and deeply caring artists I've ever encountered. There's a palpable humanity and warmth and raw emotion in these songs that I hope you'll love and take comfort in as much as I do. I, you know, I just, I love when people talk about and compliment people descriptively, use their words, if you will. <laughs> Sorry, I keep moving my mic. I think that part of my affinity for this album, it's not that it's perfect for every situation. It's not that it's the best to like pregame or pump yourself up. Honestly, I'm going to struggle with it because I don't have a car. I think this is a great driving album. I think this is a good, good, like deep in your own lost in your own thoughts album that you're not always in the mood for but that's not what music is supposed to do it's not meant to be everything to everyone and like i hope she does we don't need that from her like do i want more press yes but like honestly i just wish she'd make youtube videos and like talk to us do more instagram lives you know it's hard because i think part of her frustration and part of why she withholds a lot of commentary is because people just take it and run with it like overthink everything that's in the background that, you know, the numerology of what she shows, like sometimes I think it just is what it is. Sometimes I think she puts a super extra 
but I don't think that this is what this album is. Um, and I think that when it first came out and I was like bombarded on the internet, not me personally, well, like kind of in my DMs too, but I don't really care. I love when you guys reach out to me and tell me your thoughts. But I was just like the the theories and intricacies and connections and looking for Easter eggs and clues and who they're about and the love triangle. I was I was just like, I don't know, maybe this time, too, it's like my headspace wasn't there to want to do all of that. I kind of first just wanted to enjoy it, let it aerate. Well, I pretentiously discussed in my uh, <laughs> Patreon reaction video. Uh, friends don't let, let friends needlessly aerate uh it's, it's, you know nothing like going to a friend's house it's like oh i have a bottle of red open you want some and you're like yeah they're like great i opened it last night and you're like oh should have asked for white this is awkward you know it's going to be vinegary on the nose unless they vacuum sealed it you have to vacuum seal but alternatively i'm all about a same day aeration it's similar to an album or a tv pilot or any art i'm absorbing for the first time i i'm careful to react to it because my mind changes so quickly and i, I typically don't love things uh, or appreciate them or notice what I should be noticing upon first listen, because the the delivery of it, there's default things that come along with it that distract from what it actually is, from the novelty alone to being a first listen to, you know, manage, mismanaged or misaligned expectations to not, you know, even being able to sing along or connect the lyrics. Like there's a lot working against a first time listen. And it's like similarly to that's what I was talking about with aerating wine. Like I, I when wine aerates, it, it endures two chemical processes, evaporation and oxidation. And in letting it breathe for a little while, you're reducing the undesirable notes that a wine comes with by default, just from like being bottled and sitting there like the more medicinal uh, and sulfuric, you know, sense you don't, you don't need. And in reducing those, it enhances the flavor of the wine that it should be there to shine and stand out on its own because the things that comes along within its delivery aren't necessarily part of its uh, fundamental composition. And uh, I really do believe this with music. And I actually, surprisingly, my favorites have pretty much held up, but I do think I oversimplified or didn't understand a lot of the music. But I'm, I'm like amazed that people, I swear to God, like cheatsheet.com, insider.com. I'm like, who do you have working around the clock? That's like an astute decoder and, you know, hunter of Easter eggs. <laughs> They do it so fast and I f- am physically incapable. Anyways, all that is, I'm sorry that I didn't do this earlier. So to get into some of the songs um, and connections preliminarily drawn and different things I've read in different places. So I almost like a Venn diagram is not the right word, but I almost want to draw like I want to group these by category and then by truth or fiction or like what I what appears to align with more with her life or her as a narrator versus when she's talking about somebody else or telling another person's story um especially in the prologue like okay if we look at she talks about the visuals stars drawn around scars cardigan that still bears the scent of loss 20 years later battleships sinking into the ocean down 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 a tree swing in the woods of my childhood at least she says my Hushed tones of let's run away and never doing it. The sun-drenched month of August sipped away like a bottle of wine. A mere disco ball hovering above a dance floor. A whiskey bottle beckoning. Blah, blah, blah. Hands held through plastic. Um, she said, pretty soon these images in my head grew faces or names and became characters. I found myself not only writing my own stories, but also writing about or from the perspective of people I've never met, people I've known, or those I wish I had it. So that's another, like, I wish I could have, like, a, 
three-pronged matrix of romance, career, profession, uh, romance, career, personal reflection, categorically, which is, I feel like all of the songs kind of fall into one of these. Uh, then divided up by truth and fiction, <laughs> which I kind of use, like the notion of uh, people she's never met, people she's known, and people she wishes she hadn't as a proxy for like what would go in truth and fiction theoretically right well in addition to her own stories so the things that i feel like are telling her own stories are or are about people she knows or people she's she wishes she's she'd never know uh i said our invisible string hoax piece tears ricochet mad woman this is me trying mirrorball and then in the fiction side of people she's never met or telling stories from a perspective of a character that's not her, which, you know, this is a little tricky because I'm sure there's uh, many elements of truth in this, these songs. And like, for example, uh, the last great American dynasty, like brings her up. So it almost needs to be a Venn diagram, but whatever. Uh, maybe I'll make a truth slash fiction center, but under the fiction column, I have the one Betty August cardigan, the last great American dynasty epiphany. The one song I cannot place anywhere. I'm well. A, I struggle with hoax. B, I'm really struggling with illicit affairs. Part of me thinks she knows somebody that had one and is speaking how she'd imagine it from their perspective. But a lot of the lyrics call back to, despite this album not being autobiographical, some of the illicit affairs lyrics call back to songs that I we would deem more autobiographical from previous albums that I'll talk about later. But uh anyways this is kind of how i group them and then in romance uh so like romance truth i have invisible string and um maybe hoax but i think invisible strings is really the only true like romantic song that is rings true for the way her relationship at least is portrayed by her with joe i have peace in like an overlap middle area between romance and personal reflection because it has less to do with her relationship and more to do with her um, but I think peace is very much about this personal reflection. I also think mirror ball, no pun intended, is personal reflection. But then I have that kind of overlapping with the next uh, category, which is career, which is where I put um, an overlap between personal reflection and career as this is me trying. And then in just career alone, uh, Tears Ricochet and Mad Woman. And then in romance fiction, I have the one Betty August Cardigan, maybe illicit affairs in, uh kind of like personal reflection fiction i have the last great american dynasty and epiphany because i feel like it's kind of about the legacy of a woman who was marked with madness who's defined by her reputation and it's like taylor swift's personal reflection through this woman almost and um also ties her in at the end obviously i don't have any fictional career um anyways this is not important I just wanted to let you know how I was like, I think about the songs and group them. I, I, I'm struggling with illicit affairs and hoax. Uh, so the album, what we know about the album, including the lakes, it's 67 minutes and one second. Of course, it adds up to 13. Uh, she co-wrote at least all of the songs. The only one she wrote singularly is My Tears Ricochet, which I think is very telling of um, that being the song that's about other people stealing her lullaby stealing her work taking her life's work taking credit for what she does profiting off of what she's made um i think she needed that to be her own words without a collaborator 
uh, she worked with two producers on this album, Jack Antonoff and Aaron Dessner, as we talked about. The, was it Vulture? I think, yeah, there's a Vulture article that I thought explained this well in terms of uh, Jack Antonoff's song, Soar, and Aaron Dessner's Glide. And um, Jack's songs are My Tears Ricochet, Mirrorball, August, This Is Me Trying, Illicit Affairs. And then Betty is the only song that he worked on with Aaron Dessner as well. Aaron Dessner has the rest of the songs. Totaling 11, Jack has six. Obviously, that adds up to 17, but one of the songs, Betty, they both worked on. In terms of writers, oh, I guess I forgot to include the lakes in those calculations tonight. Um, In terms of writers, Aaron Dessner's, Taylor is on all 17. Aaron Dessner is on nine. Jack is on, I believe, five, including the lakes. And then a person named William Bowery is on two. Betty and Exile. Obviously, William Bowery's a pseudonym uh, to, you know, akin to Nils Sjöberg, which, according to my research, is a Swedish poet who, remember, I talked about this at one point, the day he, like, if you add up the days he was born and died, uh, they add up to 13, and he was like, I don't know, it's like he was born in 13, 13, I don't know. It's a, it's a random dude that had a couple poems uh, who has a ton of ties to the number 13 that I think she randomly picked. William Bowery, there's so many, there's a lot of speculation about who he is from being Joe Alwyn to Harry Styles to Lana Del Rey to being Taylor's alter ego that writes from a male perspective because it's on the only two male songs, uh, songs that have people singing from the male perspective, allegedly, which are Exile and Betty. Um, which we now know today that Betty is sung from a male's perspective, allegedly, not allegedly for a fact. Um, and what else have I read? I think it was William and she talked about Billie Eilish at the Billboard Awards it being Billie Eilish. I, I, like, I don't I don't know. It's one of those things where I think bottom line is it's a pretty famous person and similar to the Nils Soberg situation. If she published their actual name, the per- that that songwriter famous person would overshadow the narrative of the publicity of the album. That's my theory. Um, even if it was Joe, right? I Do I think it's Joe? Mm, I don't know. I feel like she compartmentalizes her process from her relationship and doesn't, I don't know what, how much input she gets from other people. My, I think the more likely thing would be Austin Swift, uh, but he wouldn't take publicity away. That would just be like, cool. But I don't know if that's weird in a romantic context. Or maybe there's an element of like some part of like one of his stories is in this. You know what I mean? I'm not really sure. Uh, I'll get back to that in a second. The I guess the core kind of Easter eggy mystery things or fun discoveries people found from this album. The the not knowing who William Bowery is, um, trying to figure out the uh, teenage love triangle. Allegedly. Betty is from, so not allegedly, I mean, as far as I understand, the three songs are August, Betty, and Cardigan. Betty is from the perspective of James, admitting to having cheated on her, um, but I guess is frustrated because of Inez, who you can't believe a word she says. Um, Betty, James, and Inez are the name of Blake Lively in Ryan Reynolds' children. I don't really understand the context of using them in a teenage love triangle because they're children. Uh, unless it's just the simple fact that she says and Inez rhyme really well. So then she brought in the other two. I'm not totally sure. Um, 
And then Cardigan gives Betty's point of view and follows um, her kind of looking back on the relationship after the breakup. In the prologue, she mentions the smell of a cardigan. What's she saying exactly? A cardigan that still bears the scent of loss 20 years later, which is interesting to me. I'm like, so this teenage love triangle was 20 years ago? Making theoretically the people who this is about in their mid-30s? I don't know. Like, I feel like this, it's not, I feel like the the confusing part about Betty August and Cardigan is like, there's, there's, you know, elements of Taylor's storytelling. There's elements of fictional characters. Could it, they possibly be telling somebody else's story, like hyper specifically that she's masking? I don't really know. But um, I'm writing down, hold on to the 20 thought because I want to mention that. Um, and then August is, some people say it's Inez telling her story where she talks about her having a fling with James that was doomed because he was in love with Betty. Uh, but I, do we know that for a fact? I don't know. I'll get to the love triangle later. I feel like Inez is just kind of like an afterthought, but I love this song, August. Um, and then I toyed with illicit affairs being part of the love triangle at a time, but I'm not, I don't think so. It's a little too mature and it's a little too, um, like it's like, I don't know. I just feel like unless it's like a creepy situation with an older man and a teenager, Illicit Affairs doesn't line up in this context. Um, the Cardigan music video has a bunch of different things in it. You know, clocks set to 13, a broken B key on the piano. The piano uh, waterfall sequence looks like Harry Styles falling video. Um, there's, I'm trying to think. Oh, the, the, like, you know how she was past that gold note in Delicate? There's that like almost gold fairy dust around it. That kind of uh, motif is inside of the piano uh, but I'd also liken that to like the pixie dust fairy dust in Peter Pan because there's two references in the song to Peter Pan Peter losing Wendy chasing shadows there's also her stare at the end is incredibly similar to her stare in delicate uh, has she had a video with a stare like that since then like delicate almost looks like like the hopeful beginning and cardigan almost looks like it's the nostalgic reflection of something that's ended. Are they related? Probably not. Uh, because again, she said cardigan is part of this teenage love triangle. Um, I'm very hung up on this, the number 20 and I don't understand its significance, but I feel like it's brought up constantly. I was trying to write it down. I was trying to explain this in my reaction video, but I only could think of two examples at the time, but I figured this out since. Okay. So, in the prologue, she says, a cardigan that still bears the scent of loss 20 years later. Let's say that, that was written in modern times. So, you know, 20 years ago was the year, what, 2000? <laughs> um, probably irrelevant. But I just think it's interesting how uh, this number 20, I feel like, comes up as often as, like, 13. Well, 13 is, like, underlying. It's rarely explicitly said. But so we have 20, loss, a scent of loss 20 years later in the prologue. Then... In the song Lover, we have Have I Known You 20 Seconds or 20 Years. And it's nice to have a friend 20 questions. We tell the truth. You know, that's a game that could just be a coincidence. In Daylight, uh, she's been sleeping so long in a 20-year dark night. Um, to be fair, so did like that person in Rip Van Winkle, right? Uh, in Out of the Woods, 20 stitches in a hospital room. Could be syllabically convenient. Um, in Cardigan, she says, once in 20 lifetimes. Um, in the Man music video, the there was a 
fake movie poster on the subway called Man vs. Master, and the release date was July 20th. Nothing happened this year on July 20th. She announced the album on July 23rd. It would have been awesome if she did, because then I'd be like, dang, she predicted that in the Man video, but obviously we know that she didn't know about this album when the Man came out. Anyways, if anybody has any thoughts on the number 20 LMK, because I just, I'm very hung up on it and I'm not totally sure why. So the song that I said, I uh, clearly identify as being closely aligned with her uh, life, especially romantically, is Invisible String, because this one has the most obvious references from the, you know, color of his shirt at the yogurt shop, where I guess people confirmed Joe worked when he was young. Um, Bad was the blood of the song on the cab on your first trip to L.A. Makes me laugh. So her song was on the radio on his first trip to L.A. And I guess like the I, I mean, I guess songs singles play like way longer than their normal rotation. But that song came out in what late 2014 and probably played through 2015. But I believe they allegedly started dating in 20 like fall of 2016 right uh anyway so another thing too that i can't quite figure out in the prologue she says like oh sorry i forget already um i printed this out hush tones of let's run away and never do wing it call it what you want a song that's largely affiliated with joe and that also weirdly ties to illicit affairs when you think of the keep your head down and walking with his head down of it all but anyway the part where it's like I recall late, late November holding my breath slowly. I said, you don't need to save me, but would you run away with me? Yes. I feel confused by hush tones of let's run away and never doing it. <laughs> and then the confirmation of having run away with somebody previously in uh, November and call it what you want. Not important. Uh, back to Invisible String. I'm just highlighting this because I think this is like the one song that like is uh, very clearly autobiographical and has very obvious nods to her life and at least what we know of her relationship with Joe. Um, where was it? Oh, bad was the blood of the song of the cab. You made it my favorite spot for dinner. I wonder if that's like what Giorgio Baldi. Uh, bold, I love this. Bold was the waitress on our three-year trip getting lunch down by the lakes. She said I looked like an American singer. I w- a lot of people thought that this mention of the lakes was going to tie to the bonus track, The Lakes, which is set to be released maybe Friday the 7th, maybe later, depending on when people get their actual physical albums and vinyls. Um, but the song got leaked. I don't know how to feel about the song. I can't even get into that right now. I just heard it like 30 minutes ago. And I, I, it's a, a very cool song that alludes to a lot of the romantic poets, like I said earlier. Um, it's like a little bit tragic. It's a little bit romantic. Referring to the, her lover as her muse, how the time they spend at the lakes. Um, anyways, I don't know how to feel about that song yet. But it's not the epiphany, no pun intended. Everybody thought it was going to be. And I'm a little relieved because I was frustrated by all the commentary about she's going to announce a pregnancy. She said, give you a child. She said, there's, you know, dangers around the corner and it lives within me. It's like, well, no, I think she was referring to the danger. Um, (laughs) Not that that something's growing inside of her necessarily. Uh, And also, I don't know, as a 32 year old woman, people incessantly ask me if I'm having kids. And I'd like to talk about everything else going on in my life besides the one thing that I think about every day all day of my life because if you don't think I'm worried about my eggs expiring you've lost your goddamn mind more often than not if you if somebody's not talking about something that you think is pretty obvious they've thought about it and there's a reason they're not bringing it up right 
Um, and I think people are well-intentioned. I think anybody that brings up usually anything with, with dating and engagements, marriages, babies, whatever, people connect on these personal topics and they're fun to talk about and they're great points of connection. And I don't blame anybody for asking. Uh, but I, as a person with the platform, I do urge you to think of anything else you can ask somebody uh, that doesn't have to do with their relationship status, a thing that women are already uh, constantly made to feel like they are defined by and that the absence of a partner somehow makes them seem less whole or seems like they're operating out of some deficit when many people choose to be single and could date any dude they wanted to, but are actively waiting for a partner that's the right match because they're a fully formed person that wants to find another fully formed person. And that is not easy. Um, anything we should be applauding women who are highly selective and who are building and designing the life the way that they want to, rather than succumbing to the pressure that your age or the norms of your reference group might make you feel like you need to meet in, you know, marrying a guy that you happen to be dating from the ages of like 25 onward, because that's the marriage age and you might as well, you slide into it instead of decide. I think we need to be like supporting and applauding women who are single and stopping, we need to stop assuming that they're not single by choice. A lot of women make the choice to not date shitty dudes. And that's awesome. Good for them. Uh, we need to not pressure people to get engaged because it's okay to date. People want to grow in parallel sometimes. And they don't necessarily have to have their lives converged at the age where everyone else is getting married. Marriage is a very serious thing. And what works for one couple doesn't work for another. I feel like I'm, in, I'm very happily married. My husband and I are very compatible. We didn't get engaged for five years, didn't get married for seven. People tortured me. And I, I just, I st it's everyone who tortured me in their garbage re relationship at the time has since broken up and Greg and I are still together. And I think like people that want to fit into these molds dismiss actual like mature, stable relationships that are blazing forward, doing what they want, regardless of what people think. I feel like the maturity in that is ignored in favor of the why buy the cow if he can have the milk for free. I mean, like, I just I can't uh, don't pressure people to get engaged. And also, if somebody has been dating somebody for a while, there was a point in my relationship where I wanted to get engaged. But I didn't want that. I, I don't want to force somebody to marry me. Are you kidding me? You literally if you think if you take a step back, just think for a second about what you're signing up for for life and if, if there's an ounce of you that thinks it's okay or normal to have to like coerce somebody into being your partner for life you're not even married yet like the resentment that would come from a person feeling forced into a situation i cannot even imagine how often that will bubble to the surface in life somebody needs to choose you and you need to choose them and pressure from either side is only going to manifest in the form of resentment for what the person's life could have looked like had they not succumbed to pressure. Things need to be people's decision and they need to be able to get to that decision. And if they can't, that's a problem and you need to figure it out. But sometimes it does take time and everyone is different. I don't believe in ultimatums, but I do think, I think people know in their heart of hearts, like if you're not going to marry someone, if they're not going to get to this point, like if you, they fundamentally don't believe in marriage and you do, and you've been waiting for them to turn around, like there's so, there's a lot of uh, logic logical things that can go into that that can make a situation be legitimately unhealthy when people have been together for a long time and aren't engaged or married yet like sh absolutely but also your influence isn't going to change their decision they have to reach their own decision that their relationship is over or moving forward and your input isn't helpful 
especially not when you use cliches and tropes and things like your aunts and, you know, your mom's country club friends and other bullshit. Those cliches they say to you to make women feel less than who aren't progressing against the norms that society projects upon us solely because of our biological clocks. But yeah, there was a time in my relationship where I really did want to be engaged. And I was so aware of it. And every single person that asked me as if I hadn't thought about it, I was like, are you you effing kidding me? Like, it was incredibly frustrating. And meanwhile, I had started a business from scratch, a doormat business that like had gone viral. My life was taking twists and turns unimaginable. No one cared. All people wanted to know was, why hasn't he put a ring on it in like drunken bathrooms at Beaumont's in Lincoln Park? Like, I just don't, it was so frustrating. Um, and now being at like prime childbearing age and being married, it's just whatever. I'll get off the soapbox. It, sometimes I'm like fascinated by the things I say on here. <laughs> uh, I just said, whatever, guys. Um, but I'll, I, I'm going to get into some of the specifics now of the, the songs and uh, what Aaron had to say. But I want to thank our last sponsor. This is a long episode. We are so lucky to have these sponsors. The final one is a wonderful company that I started working with more recently that I love called Ritual. I don't know. I'm not the healthiest <laughs> gal in town. I, I, I tend to pull all-nighters and have kind of an erratic schedule trying to get stuff out. And I, I always want to do the right thing to keep myself healthy in the long run. But above and beyond anything I can like eat or make for myself, I typically am still missing essential nutrients that I need on a daily basis. And Ritual is an obsessively researched vitamin specifically for women. And I really love it. Well, I guess I'll, I mean, I don't know if they'll want me to get into this on the copy, but I just want to tell you specifically why they're like mint. There's like, there's something in the bottle that's like a mint flavor and your breath smells better after you take the vitamin. You don't have like the gross vitamin taste, which is like, a, is a big issue for me for some reason with like a hang up I have with vitamins. Beyond that, they're like transparent. You can see what's inside of them. I don't know. I'm a big fan. I like transparency literally and figuratively. Um, but their essential vitamin has the nutrients most of us don't even get enough of from food in their clean, absorbable forms. And there's no shady additives or ingredients that can do more harm to your body than good. And two easy-to-take capsules provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. So I started using this like last month and I have a really uh, poor history of remembering to take vitamins and legitimately getting something out of them. But this has become a part of my routine. And I, uh, I don't know, I genuinely enjoy it and I feel better knowing that I'm getting the nutrients I need. And I love the minty aftertaste. What can I say? I, uh, it's kind of just this, I don't know. And it's an awesome, if you haven't read about its uh, origin, read about the CEO. It's super impressive. She was, when she was pregnant and realized most supplements had so many like fillers and mysterious, mysterious products in them. Uh, she kind of ideated ritual and made it with ingredients easy to digest because it's time released and you can even take it on in an empty stomach. And, um, it's really what I like as a skeptic is that it's by skeptics for skeptics. And um, yeah, read more about the CEO story. It's actually very interesting. Um, and beyond that, it's it's a subscription and it's easy to start and it's easy to snooze. It's only a dollar a day to have the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every month. No strings attached. It's not like a, a series of pills. It's one specific. It's one. Well, two capsules you take of a specific uh, blend of uh, essentials delivered to you conveniently and you know better health doesn't happen overnight guys but you as a listener can go to ritual.com slash be there in five and get 10 percent off during your first three months you can fill in the gaps in your diet with essential for women a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body 
Visit ritual.com slash be there in five to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash be there in five. One quick thing I wanted to bring up. Do you guys remember Miss Americana when she kind of talked about how this is like her last chance to like reinvent herself fully with the Lover album, maybe? She was kind of talking about uh, she almost felt she had like this expiration date or something like with turning 30. And I don't know. It was kind of like a solemn thing where I felt I felt for her and I felt this immense pressure she felt on her paired with this needless reality she was projecting onto herself about what her career was inevitably going to become based on precedence and outside input alone. And I feel like the irony of that is that that whole documentary was about coming into your own and dismantling your problematic beliefs and your conditioning that limit your capabilities that overemphasize the input of others relative to your own truth. Uh, Yet she was still seeming like she had no choice in the matter of becoming a victim of her own circumstances. And I think what's so incredible about Taylor Swift that can't be overlooked in any way, shape or form is there's so many different examples of patterns and behaviors and ways a career can go. But she continues to be the exception. And I think it's interesting that she even wouldn't see that in herself. And like, yeah, I know there's so many awful stories and a lot of people's careers do decline at a certain age. And it's unfair how society treats women. It's, you know, all of your heroes die all alone. Like, I don't I don't know what she uses as examples to project onto her own experience. But I think what separates good from greatness from her true excellence is she has this like underlying character and strength of self and family and identity that is somehow quite separate i think from her persona as a performer and she doesn't seem to have gotten lost in the toxic relationships and the the drugs and the abuse and the uh you know more erratic problematic behavior that i think people partake in as a result of an emptiness that i think fame yields where it's all you want and then you only realize that the tension from people that don't know you is quite unsatisfying you can't trust anybody or get close to anybody it's I'd imagine it's a quite complicated uh, place to be in, but I do think that something about her, she always rises up and she always does, you know, moves forward and tries to do the right thing. And it's interesting to me because I too feel like, you know, I, I don't really know whose career is like mine. And I kind of see it as being my demise or inevitable failure. Like, obviously this can't work, um, you know, not being like a person that was trying to be famous or something. I just kind of like fell into this and keep pressing forward and keep thinking it's like all of a big a joke like i don't know i just keep i i have i am the ultimate imposter um and it's it's comforting and ridiculous all the same to see like an idol of mine have those same feelings and act like she doesn't have say in the matter of her own uh destiny because i think if the past decade has proven us anything it's that uh she may not be always be in control but she's incredibly resilient and she doesn't use what happens to her as uh, material to contribute to some further demise. She uses it as an opportunity to, to change and evolve and to step back and to not, you know, she when she needed to move, step back, she did. When she needed to go quiet, she did. I think she's been smart in doing what she needs, even if it's to the chagrin of her fans. Um, I think the big difference is her taking care of herself and having, yeah, I don't know, an incredible character, I think, that enables her to uh, have a level of what I perceive as normalcy relative to a lot of super famous people. And I do think a lot of that's to do with your family as well. And I'm really worried about, I'm, I'm really hoping her mom's okay. Um, but anyway, I just was thinking about that earlier. I'm like, she thought lover was her last chance. Like look at her now. She just she fully, uh, no one saw the pandemic coming. She thought she was going to be touring lover all summer. I'm sure there's a lot of disappointment in her plans, 
And she completely transfers categories once again. Like who thought going from country to pop, people thought was going to be the biggest mistake. It was the biggest, the most important shift her career could have ever done. And now she shifts categories once again and does things with no buildup, no marketing, no outside input. And it just proves the, uh, the fundamental nature of her brilliance, independent of any of the fluff. And many people love to discount a talented woman's career as being part of the marketing and writing about boyfriends and being a part of all of this drama when really uh, in this pared down situation where she is writing from the heart in a genre she's never even been in and fans still follow her and fans still identify with her lyrics, maybe even more so than ever. And it's so in tune with the time we're in. And she took the risk of just putting it out there immediately because nothing's guaranteed. I mean, it paid off in spades. And I just hope she's proving to herself that she's very much not tethered to the the, the the destiny of somebody in her position, like insert human here, this is what will happen to you. She's special because she's her and because she's her, she won't end up a way she doesn't want to, you know? And uh, I don't know. I just thought I need to rewatch Miss Americana and draw parallels because I feel like that was the most acquainted with her I ever felt. Like if you, I did a, like a really long, probably, I think it was like two and a half hour Miss Americana review where I kind of just like, I actually, that's the most personal episode I think I've ever had. I told a lot of stories on that about my own experiences and my own kind of um, uh, deprogramming as a woman who grew up in the South, who prioritized the comfort of others over honesty my whole life and to values almost too much comes from others' approval to the point where if I fear it's not happening, I will just withdraw from the person entirely to avoid that pain. Um, it was yeah an educational experience to watch somebody look up to speak about it so candidly. And I love that documentary. Anyway, let's keep going. Anyway, see, I, I have problems. I just I muse all the live long. OK, so what was I talking about? Um, oh, yeah, I was going through like some of the fun pieces of the album, the William you know, who wrote it, how long it was, who produced it. Some of the lore like Blake Lively's kids and the love triangle, William Bowery. The Last Great American Dynasty being about Rebecca Harkness, who lived in her Rhode Island home. Uh, what else did I miss? She wrote about her grandfather, Guadalcanal, in Epiphany, and also about, I think, like, there's kind of a parallel there, too, with frontline COVID workers. I can't listen to that song. I don't even know if I'll ever review it. I've, it's like, soon you'll get better. In my lover review, I just, like, wept for five. I mean, it's just... I don't know if that's what people uh, are looking for in their uh, uh, content, but I think she's she wants to like she's kind of tired of giving them too much credit. Like, I think what Kim and Kanye did to her reputation pales in comparison to the gravity of having your life's work given to a man that hates you and who then makes you look bad for being mad about something you have the right to be mad about and kind of like gaslights you and then uses abuses their power to manipulate your ability to use your own work uh, to satisfy their sick need to prove that they have power over you in some way I mean, it's it's insanity but um some other notes i had down were that i felt like a lot of um like emotional and lyrical maturity is displayed in this album and like mad woman's kind of an upgrade of the man that exiles you know a lot of people have said this an upgrade of, of the last time with um gary lightbody who's from snow patrol Mr. Patrol, nice for you. Uh, the Last Great American Dynasty feels like an upgraded Starlight to a degree. Those are the only two songs where she uses the word marvelous uh, in her entire discography, I believe. And also, I think this The Last Great American Dynasty, Starlight, and um, 
this is why we can't have nice things. They're all kind of interconnected. So I really like this Aaron Dessner Vulture article because this is really the only uh, semblance of truth we have for any song because he's the one who worked on it. He can't speak for Jack Antonoff's songs with full accuracy, obviously, but I thought there was some really interesting tidbits in here that I don't love the word tidbits. Uh, basically, in this article, I think a couple important things he clarifies is one that um, the songs, the one and hoax were brought in at the end and they were kind of bookends, which I think is so confusing. And um, he also says, like, very specifically that um, it's clear that the one is not written from her perspective, which helps with my argument of like it being on the fiction column. He says it's clear that the one is not written from her perspective. It's written from another friend's perspective. There's an emotional wryness and rawness while also to this kind of wink in her eyes. There's a little bit of her sense of humor in there. In addition to this kind of sadness that exists both underneath and on the surface. Um, the other thing I think is really interesting that he explains is when he talks about exile and how the process of getting Bonnie Vare involved, he says, Taylor and William Bowery, comma, the singer songwriter, comma, wrote that song initially together and sent it to me, sort of a rough demo where Taylor was singing both the male and female parts. It's supposed to be a dialogue between two lovers. Um, and there's a footnote. Not only does it say William Bowery, comma, the singer songwriter, comma, uh, he, it also says in the Vulture footnotes, Desner explains of the one unknown name who pops up in the folklore credits. William Bowery is who she wrote Exile with and Betty with. He's a singer songwriter. I, I just am very confused by this. So I think that's interesting. Kind of clears up the Joe piece of it, like who, who's not a singer songwriter. Uh, but at the same time, if it wasn't actually, it was a dude who was like in her presence, like a Joe or an Austin or whatever. Um, wouldn't it be them two singing the parts as for the demo like why was taylor singing both the male and female parts unless it was another female or i get maybe they like weren't necessarily in the same space but i don't know it's just like clearly it's a very famous person that would detract from the song from betty that would take over the press cycle uh but i'm not like clear on um yeah that i think the clarification of a singer songwriter something that people i don't know if people haven't picked up on or if they're ignoring or they assume it's an accident uh, but I think that's a big distinction in terms of who it could be. Um, the other thing I think is interesting is he says that this is me trying relates to the entire album. Uh, the whole album is an exercise in working through these stories, whether personal or old through someone else's perspective. This song connects a lot of things, but I love this, the feeling in it and the production Jack did. Um, the, interesting thing he said about bad woman mad woman is kind of what we would think in terms of it being the most scathing song on folklore and this like cathartic witch hunting and gaslighting darkness and how so sometimes you become the person people try to pin you in a corner to be which is not really fair um i don't know i just think i i, I like that interpretation of mad woman that's exactly what i extract from it too and i kind of appreciate the confirmation and even though i gave you no information about hoax what Aaron says about it is that this is a big departure. I think she said to me, don't try to give it to another space other than what feels natural to you. Um, there's sadness. It's kind of a hopeful sadness. It's a recognition that you take on the burden of your partners, your loved ones, their ups and downs. There's both peace and hoax to me. 
it's part of how I feel about these songs because I think that's life. There's a reality, the gravity or an understanding of the human condition. And he refers to the lakes as kind of like Greek tragic poetry. Um, he talks about how they never really like talked about the meaning of the album, which I think is funny because it didn't reverse engineer it from this broader theme. It kind of developed itself. And that probably speaks to why there's so much sonic cohesion and why it feels so organic. Uh, they straight up ask, is Betty queer canon? And he says, I can't speak to what it's about. I have my own ideas. I also know where Taylor's heart is. And I think that's great. Anytime a song takes on greater meaning for anyone. Um, they ask, the vulture asks, is William Bowery secretly Joe Alwyn? He says, I don't know. We're close, but she won't tell me that. I think it's actually someone else, but it's good to have some mysteries. That's so interesting. I feel like either this will go to the grave and it just like isn't that is insignificant or it's going to turn out to be like a Harry Styles and it's going to become reason for additional press later that will get revealed a la Nilso Soberg. Um, uh, back to the Is Betty Queer canon. It's interesting because I know people were disappointed when Taylor came out today and said, uh, to country radio that james is a boy and on the one hand like i totally get that representation is important and you know especially if you identify as lgbtq and want a song that feels more adjacent to your own experience it kind of sucks having this default assumption that's you know so much music is, is heteronormative and having to manipulate it to your own situation and it would be great to have an anthem and i thought it was a really cool concept of having this love triangle be uh, three women or three girls, rather, I guess they're 17. Um, and I totally thought that was the case too, until today. Uh, and then of course there's people that are like, Oh, cool. And then there's people that are like, well, of course she's going to say that she's covering it up. And this is where it all gets really confusing. And as you guys know, and especially toward the beginning of my podcast, really from the reputation era on, especially leading up to lover when it seemed like a lot of her association with pride in the wig she wore and you need to calm down it was kind of like is she hinting at something is she saying something we know nothing about her personal life we never see her boyfriend like what is going on um and in the absence of information i'll speculate and to me it was always kind of like the message of it's it's kind of the theme of folklore right like art is up to interpretation art is it's you adapt it to your situation you make it your own taylor being an ally a self-proclaimed ally i don't think would ever be offended uh, by a person extracting queer themes from her music because that's not offensive or accusatory. It's how you're interpreting her art. And I think the far more harmful thing is to suggest there's something inherently offensive about uh, somebody singing about a same-sex relationship. Uh, never, ever my intention to like try and out somebody or whatever. But uh, it's kind of a funny thing where now I've kind of backed off from it because when somebody tells you something, like you speculate until you have a version of the truth or you have some sort of confirmation or clarification in the lover era. I thought Taylor really clarified that what seemed, um, what, what the absence of Joe from like everything aside from like certain promotional things, what to me read as suspicious. I then understood as being fierce privacy. I actually think their relationship is quite stable and is marked with a level of contentment that, um, they perhaps don't get credit for. And I think she's like safeguarding this relationship because it's probably way more special to her than a lot of the more media friendly ones that she maybe got into for the wrong reasons or just were more vapid to the nature of youth. Um, but I respect the hell out of the online theories. I love digging through them. I think they're empirically fascinating. And I think that there will always be so much mystery shrouding the reputation era. 
in that she said the slideshows wouldn't be about the men you think they're about. Like, I think there's that the her absence in that era will forever allow the folklore of rep to surround anybody who you want it to be about. Um, because you think you know someone, but you only know the version of them they chose to choose to show you. But she wasn't even showing us a version of herself. Then we get to Lever. She clarifies her relationship. She says she's happy and in love. She's been in a relationship for three years. And I'm like, cool. You know, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> My goal isn't to write a narr- the narrative that I want to hear. My goal is just like, I'm interested in her. And I always want to know more detail about her life. And she used to give us so much more. And then when she withheld it, I was like, oh, man. But what I think is problematic about it, any sort of, for lack of a better word, conspiracy theory is when you're given a clarification and you're almost so far down the rabbit hole that the pillars upon which your conspiracy stands are a fundamental disbelief in um, even the people allegedly telling you the truth so that if there is a clarification, your response isn't to agree, it's to say they're lying, right? That's where I think uh, conspiracy theories are, are cyclical and self-fulfilling and uh, can be a bit problematic in a sense of there's, there, isn't a, there aren't checks and balances. Uh, there isn't you're relying on sources that won't reveal their sources or reveal who they they you know who they are and you know well there's no harm in believing what you want to believe there is harm in arguing about it and uh, you know putting other people down because of it and attacking me for backing off of the killer fandom uh, accusing me of like I, I, you guys don't even know the emails DMs I get or that's like. Oh, convenient of you to back off of the Kaler train. Abigail follows you and you want to get invited to a secret session. Like what? <laughs> what? Hey, I, Abigail's like a human outside of like Taylor Swift's friends that she like follows and probably does things in her life outside of Taylor. Do I know her directly or know why she follows me? No. Happy she's here. Love her forever. But I don't have any affiliation with her. Beyond that, um, I've explained time and time again how I'm just not interested anymore. It's just old news. She's told us her where her life is now. And if anything, there's a problematic element to, okay, let's just even say hypothetically she was in a relationship with a woman. If you're now disregarding her relationship with a man and your argument is that she's bisexual, there's an element of erasure there where you're disregarding her current relationship because she was in a prior relationship with the opposite sex. And that's not okay either. My intention wasn't to out or speculate or force anything down anybody's throat. It was like, this is a perfectly acceptable explanation. I think it's interesting. I think it's important to be open-minded. And I think it's important to not attack people who want to interpret what they want. But the problem is it fragments the fandom in a way that I hate. And I hate when people argue about it in my Facebook group. I hate that I started it. I hate that people come after me as if um, I've changed my tune because I want to get invited to a secret session. Like, as fun as that would be, I'm also a 32-year-old woman who has shit to do. Like, it's not my life's goal. Like, I love Taylor, but also, like... I'm not an 18 year old with a Tumblr fan account. It's very dismissive to my career to assume that I would forego transparency and be lying here and faking it all in effort to just be a pop star's best friend that I'll never meet or be her best friend. Like, how would I? I appreciate you that you think I have that kind of importance, but um, I'm just a normal person in Chicago with a podcast. A lot of people have podcasts. A lot of people talk about Taylor Swift. And it's interesting and I think I'm just so annoyed right now getting trying to say things that are truthful to me and trying to be honest, even though it's like the harder route, whether it's like Wayfair or this, it's like if uh, the, the the popular thing to do is to double down. The popular thing to do, the way to get more downloads is to be insistent on some broader conspiracy, not to go back on it. Um, and my yeah, I don't know. My goal isn't being right and my goal isn't perpetuating 
rumors. My goal is uh, talking about what I think aligns at that time. And just like people don't let Taylor evolve from her own folklore that she's so tethered to, I feel like people won't let me evolve from the way I interpret and analyze her. And it's that's frustrating for me on this tiny scale. I can't imagine how frustrating that is for her. And I don't know, just please spare me of the messages. It's like, it's so, it's so frustrating. And um, really anything that you believe so steadfastly and you're so sure of to your core, somebody believing something else shouldn't compromise it or threaten you. And I think all the same people, regardless of how you feel about something is or isn't queer canon or whatever, just don't make it about outing people. Don't make it about I'm right, you're wrong. Don't make it about told you so. I think it's just as off-putting when people like told you James was a boy. It's like, why do you have to do that? Who cares? Let's coexist in the fact that we have a shared common interest of loving the singer's art and we're having fun consuming it. Like it's supposed to be fun. It's just like not that big of a deal. And I think it just, I, I hate having any involvement in like that fragmentation in the fandom where people fight about this because I just think it's pointless. So yeah, long story short, I change my mind all the time. I talk about different things all the time. Uh, the problematic nature to me of any sort of steadfast belief in something that is not confirmed is uh, an unwillingness to let people be flexible, to change their mind, to evolve, to move off. And the fact that the thing that you believe in must be so precarious if you think that me being like, yeah, I think that was true at one point, but let's move on because we've been told otherwise. To, to have the situation be so precarious that that in some way is a threat or you're accusing me of being part of some broader conspiracy of trying to pander to somebody. It's just like insane. So anyways, that's all I'll say about that. Please don't fight about it in my Facebook group. Please don't fight about it elsewhere. Like, it's just not that deep beyond that. It's kind of like an old story. Uh, and I think it's important that we're not always suspicious of everything ever. And it's one thing to speculate when you have no information, but it's another thing to actively ignore information you're being told. And that's where I think you start to lose credibility. And you may be right. And uh, I might be misguided. And should that day come, I'll whip right back around and pat you on the back. Cause I, it's not a pride thing for me. Again, we're talking about a singer. We're just enjoying something together. It's not that deep. And I just want us to all be able to enjoy it together and to not be threatened by each, each, each other's interpretation. And beyond that, not manipulate information or lie about anything or make anything a stretch to make ourselves appear right. You know, it's like, let's all just coexist and be cool. Um, and, uh, not discriminate and be kind in the process, you know? Anyway, guys, uh, I'm going to let you go. <laughs> Stay tuned for more deep dives of songs on Patreon. Some with Kelly and I will come out gradually. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. You can see my 90 minutes of reaction video. Watch me cry the first time I listen to this. Among other, many other deep dives that I have on there. But I guess, uh, bottom line, I'm grateful for this album. It came at the right time. It's exactly what I didn't know I needed. I think it's exactly what Taylor Swift's career maybe even didn't know sh she needed because she kind of sold her short in terms of her ability to reinvent herself and it's, I, I just i live for this sentiment of opposing ideals things that that are so happy they're sad those who you they gain so much from you'll forever mourn their loss but you're no less grateful for their existence people you miss that you've yet to meet uh, it's i always liken it to that feeling of listening to a church choir a children's church choir at christmas time why do children's choirs make me long for a time that I can't even place. I'm missing something I don't even know if I ever had. The way you look back on your life and all the things that were whose intensity were marked with such permanence, ultimately being so fleeting that if you knew that in real time, it would have killed you. But knowing it now, you're comforted by knowing that things will will always evolve, always replenish themselves. And um, 
I think like Red is such a fantastic album, but it's an album of a person that with very little perspective, who's the the um, through line of that album is having blinders to the context of your situation and just kind of leaning into the intensity of whatever it is. Um, whereas folklore is just this incredibly like balanced, content, longing, sentimental, reflective, introspective, beautiful piece of, of storytelling inters, you know, interspersed with elements of, of truth that will ever forever be trying to dig up. And I'm grateful that after all she's been through, all the fans have put her through, all the pressure she's puts on herself, all the disappointments and deceit she's experienced by the hands of the people closest to her. Maturity and tone of this album is just such a reflection of her headspace, which I do feel like, despite the seeming sad, is largely content and positive. And this level of emotional complexity is not something I would argue is the product of somebody who's suffering i think it's somebody who has an unmatched clarity that uh enables them to sift through all the complexities and emotions of of the human experience and our memories and i love this album people keep saying like you know rank it with other albums is it your favorite blah blah nothing can be my favorite that i just met I'll, i i'll always i mean i have my affinities for so many of her albums for different reasons because of my own folklore and experiences with them right that's that's what the, the whole point of this is and I think this is a great driving album. I think this is a great pensive thought album. I think this is perfect for fall. I think this is perfect for so many scenarios. Um, but we, music doesn't need to be everything to everyone in every situation. I think that her different albums and songs are good for different reasons. And so far, I love this. I can't wait to spend more time with it. And I don't really want to pit it against her other albums because it's it's not even in the same genre. I think this album is definitely a mood. Um but yeah, it's like, I think it's interesting when people are like, it's my favorite. Like, it's so, favorites for me are, are uh, made and not born. Um, so I guess we'll see with time. But I like what I know so far. I think it's lyrically some of her best work. I think sonically it'll probably be what ultimately gets her back in the award circuit and gets her her Grammys. I don't know if she still cares or not, but, you know, I don't think it ever hurts to be recognized. And uh, yeah. Anyway, you guys. If you liked this i'd love it if you shared it that's the only way anybody ever hears about the podcast all things considered i'm still a pretty small show so if you share on your stories if you're private dm me um i would love 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 if you shared it with a friend or on your story and you know bottom line i'm just happy you're here and i'll be so lucky if you will come back and uh i'm gonna leave you with another catchy yet chaotic mashup uh, from youtube this is from uh, YouTube channel called Music Maestro Mashups and is red and cardigan. And I think it's really fun. I'm trying to think of, I have a hard time landing a plan. What else do <laughs> I need to say? It's funny. Every time I leave one of these episodes, it's with the topic where people are so passionate about, I have like, I want to scream into a pillow. I have an anxiety attack that I didn't do it justice. But I, I almost have a sense of peace in that, even if this is just like the most garbage analysis ever. I had a great time. I had a marvelous time ruining everything. And I, it's honestly words I want to live by from now on. And I hope you do too, because ruin is in the eye of the beholder. And uh, one person's perceived ruin is another person's pretty damn good time. And the more we can lean into who we are and what we like and care less about what people think, the better off we are. Just as Taylor did relinquish control of the way people talk about you because you can't control it. And you'll be writing far better lore by just being exactly as you are and not in the image of what 
people expect you to be. That, my friends, is fiction. Folklore needs to be rooted in an element of truth, so live yours. And as always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. Try to change the air.